Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. Thank goodness it is Friday, April 19th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussein. Candace Castillo of United Working Families will join us. And we welcome Illinois State Rep Robert Martwick. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this, what else, Mueller Friday. And here's why. So I woke up this morning bright and early at the, at the dawning of nine. Well, we had a lot of work to do today, D. Got up early, had a lot of reading. I had to read the New York Times. God bless the New York Times, folks. Here is that newspaper that was delivered on my door by somebody who got up a lot earlier than I did. God bless them. Huh? New York Times. Man, they had so much coverage of Mueller's report. So I mean, D, it's like, paid, look, they have a special, look at this one. This oh. is just a special section. This is like 12 pages of special section with excerpts and pretty pictures and diagrams and pull-out quotes. And then the front page itself, it tells you everything you know. Mueller report lays out Russian contacts and Trump's frantic efforts to foil inquiry. Yes, 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 folks. They read the Mueller report so you don't have to. And I read their coverage of the Mueller report so you don't even have to read that. Making it easy for you here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, let's break it down one by one as they smash all kinds of holes into Donald Trump's cockamamie, lame assertion that he was, quote-unquote, exonerated, <laughs> which last I looked up meant uh, absolved the wrongdoing. Uh-uh. Oh, no, folks. This dude is up to lots of wrongdoing. Let's take it point by point. Starting with obstruction of justice. Here's what the Mueller report wrote. <clears throat> wrote, excuse me. <clears throat> I will now read it. If we had confidence after, after a thorough investigation of the facts that the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state. I like that. We would so state. Based on the facts and the applicable legal standards, we are unable to reach that judgment. Folks, what does that mean? It means he did it, America. The man you elected to be your president obstructed justice. Furthermore, on the issue of obstruction, I will read this from the Mueller report. The president's efforts to influence the investigation were mostly unsuccessful, but that is largely because the persons who surround the president declined to carry out orders or accede to his request, meaning as much as Donald Trump obstructed justice, it would have been even more obstruction of justice if his aides had obeyed his commands. And while we're at it, 
Let's read this from the Mueller report. We received the president's written response in late November 2018. We noted, among other things, that the president stated on more than 30 occasions that, quote, he does not recall or, quote, he does not remember or have an independent recollection of information called for by the questions. Other answers were incomplete or imprecise. Oh, my God. This may be my favorite part of the Mueller report. This is where Donald Trump suddenly gets a convenient case of amnesia. I can't remember. Reminds me when Mayor Daley was called to testify about Clout Cafe. That's the cafe that got the, the, the deal to operate a Millennium Park inside deal. Long story. Won't bore you with the details. Except that. When Daly was called to testify about it, it was like, I can't remember. I don't know. I don't recall. They would ask him about names of people he knew. I, I, do I know that guy? They showed him a picture of himself in the giving a speech. Is that me? I don't remember. It's funny how my memory goes. It's funny. Isn't that how it goes? Stellar Daly impression. <laughs> when it comes to remembering every single possible detail about what Hillary Clinton may or may not have done with her emails. Donald Trump, oh my God, his memory is is just phenomenal. It's like years have passed and he still remembers. Uh, remember when Hillary did that? That's my Donald Trump. <laughs> That's a really good Donald Very Trump good. invitation. It also reminds me of Bill Clinton and sort of, it's sort of like a distant cousin of Bill Clinton when he was deposed and suddenly he got all lawyer-like, you know. Uh, they were asking about Monica Lewinsky and he was like, well, that all depends on what your definition of is is. That's my imitation of Bill Clinton. That one just sounded like you. <laughs> oh, man, they call Bill Clinton Slick Willie. I think we should call this president Slick Donnie. Man, okay. I, hey, is there some kind of like pills Donald take to help his memory? You know, like prunes or something? Maybe can he take prunes? What helps memory, D? I don't know. Milk? Drink milk, Donald. That'll help your memory. Does the body good? <laughs> I can't remember. Oh man, I, I I hate to admit it, folks. Dennis has got a much better imitation of Donald Trump than I do. Anyway, oh, while we're at it, the Mueller report. Back to business. Let's read this one. This, <laughs> this is Donnie's favorite part of the Mueller report. Let me go. Hold on. Yeah, here we go. The investigation established multiple links between Trump campaign officials and individuals tied to the Russian government. Those links included Russian offers of assistance to the campaign. Ultimately, the investigation did not establish that the campaign coordinator or conspire with the Russian government in its election interference activities. Oh, my. My goodness. This is what we call Donald. You're the luckiest man alive. They had the goods on you, Donnie, but they didn't have enough guts to go after the president of the United States. So they're not going to press charges and they're going to leave it up to Congress to do that. And I got a sense that Congress won't do it either. Hey, folks. Hey, America. You thought OJ Simpson got off easy? Man, compared to Donald Trump, OJ had it rough. At least he got charged for his crimes. We got a great Hello? show today, oh, everybody. It's not someone's knocking Ramana on the door. Hussein will be here. Oh, yeah. Ramana Hussein every Friday. Uh, Ramana Rundown. Isn't that what we call it, D? Yes, sir. Where are the T-shirts? Oh, we sold out. I got to get more. <laughs> Sun-Times, hurry up with those T-shirts. Damn, sometimes it's slow with those Ramada, uh, Ramada Rundown t-shirts. Uh, Candace Castillo will be here at 2 o'clock. She's a political activist extraordinaire in the city of Chicago. Someone you should know. She was just uh, the overseer of the victorious Jeanette Taylor Aldermanic campaign in the 20th Ward. And then Rob Martwick. Oh, yeah. Our old friend from the Northwest side. State Representative Rob Martwick. Mr. I know everything there is to know about taxes, about uh 
the elected school board. And I'll probably ask him a Trump question or two. Come on, Mark. Like, get ready for some Trump questions, all right? Anyway, you know what all that means, D? That means politics, 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 and politics. But before we get to any of that, the doctor has the news. Not a doctor. I'm Dennis. How's it going? It's the <laughs> middle of the final day of the week. Bring it, weekend! <laughs> Yes, the redacted Mueller report is out. And also, yes, that word redacted should be highlighted, (laughs) double underlined, and in all caps. Very much redacted, all right? We'll be talking about the Mueller report throughout the entire show. So, hey, let's talk about some other stories happening nationally this afternoon. Actually, uh, can we take some time to talk about Jim Comey for a moment, Ben Jerome? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Let's do that. Uh, After the release of the redacted Mueller report, uh, President Donald Trump's former FBI guy, James Comey, was wandering around the woods. He was literally wandering around the woods. Uh, I'm not sure why, but uh, he was... Thankfully, though, he went to Twitter to share with us his Zen-like moment. I'm sure some of you have seen this on Twitter already. He tweeted two pictures, okay? Two pictures, uh, both with a comment below it. Uh, We'll read these here. So uh, the first is Comey in the woods next to very tall trees, and he's staring up at the sky. It reads... So many questions. All right. Then the next picture... Yeah. The next picture is one. Uh, it's just his camera is taking a picture of the ground, bunch of sticks and dirt. That comment reads... Oh, wait, hold on. That comment reads... So many answers. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Wow, man. You get that, though, what he, he did? Yeah, yeah, I got what he did. So like many this. questions in the sky, yeah. but all these answers are on the ground. Whoa, what does that mean? You the know, answers are right there. You know what it means? What? I mean, I think it means that James Comey's been visiting that cookie man. <laughs> yeah. You know the cookie man? Yeah. Tell them who the cookie man yeah, is. For those uh, devotees of the Ben Jarofsky show, they already know the cookie man. Uh, hey, new listeners. Cookie man was a guy that sold weed to me when I was uh, in my 20s. <laughs> And he sold them in the form of cookies. He baked them in cookies. And he was also a downstate uh, purveyor of weed. So I just, just anybody yeah, who yeah, actually yeah. believes people don't smoke weed for downstate, the cookie man was a uh, very prosperous businessman uh, in the uh, St. Louis area. Anyway, yes, uh, plenty of questions, but the answers are right in front of us. James Comey, the former FBI director, as he's, as he's left Washington, has become like a mystic. And uh, uh, listen, folks, we all know it went down. Calming me down, man. I was all fired up over that. Shout out to the cookie report. man. <laughs> Shout out to the cookie man. Uh, could use some of those cookies right now. But uh, yeah, James Comey, the answers are right there in front of us. We can pretend not to look, pretend not to see them. You could be like William Barr, the attorney general, look the other way. <laughs> uh, or you can deal with the fact that the commander in chief of the United States, the man that uh, you elected as your president, folks, just lying, lying, lying to get himself out of trouble. Man, oh, man, what are we going to tell our kids? Huh? Oh, don't lie. Oh, yeah. I'm like the president. OK, there you go. You know, don't collude with the Russians. Oh, yeah. Like the president. Oh, my God. Anyway, Comey knows what's going on. All right. We have a 2020 presidential candidate update. Oh, Grandpa Joe and his waiting games. We all know that the former vice president is going to run. He's fooling no one. (laughs) He's been traveling around the country, giving speeches and defending his personal space issues in public. Come on, announce already. Well, according to three people with knowledge of Joe Biden's plans, former vice president Joe Biden will announce his presidential candidacy 
next week. Oh, there's a big surprise. You know, uh, I I he, I know he's uh, second in the polls. What a twenty four percent most recent poll at Bernie at number one and twenty nine, and uh, uh, Biden at twenty four. I'm just starting to think that Joe Biden's campaign is not going to take off. The I just have this feeling it's not going to take off. I could be proven wrong. You could play this back to me a year from now when he's being sworn in, uh, President Joe, Grandpa Joe, President Grandpa Joe. I just don't think it's going to uh, take off. It's funny, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> who will be a president, to pre- that'll be the president they elect, the guy that Ben can't pronounce his last name, Buttigieg. <laughs> Uh, That's close. It's it, the other day. I was like, I was a friend of the family. I was with a friend of the family, and she was just raving about Mayor Pete. And it's just one person. You know, I'm not extrapolating, make a big deal about it. But I'm just like, wow, you really love Mayor Pete. And I can't think of any like really specific reason for loving Mayor Pete. You know, it's not like he's done something in his life. You know what I mean? It's not like he's accomplished. Something. It just reminds me sort of what way the way things were with Barack Obama in about 2008. It's like their vibe. People are just getting off on the vibe that the person emanates. So, hey, if that's enough to like the guy president, so be it. Uh, Joe Biden, I don't know if he has that cool vibe. You understand what I'm saying, Dave? Oh, I think you're. Uh, I think what you're really trying to say, I'm trying to read in between the lines here. I think what you're really trying to say is he's really old and Pete Buttigieg is like super young. Yeah, that could be it. Oh, he doesn't have experience. Yeah, because he's young. (laughs) Hasn't done anything. Yeah, because he's young. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. All right, well, let's start unpacking this here. The redacted Mueller report was released Thursday. Ben, you opened the show with it. Hey, you've had time to look this bad boy over now. You've read all 400-some-odd pages, right? (laughs) You've read the whole thing? Well, no. Fine-tooth comb looked uh, it over? uh, No, I didn't get up that early, okay? All right, well, two questions, or maybe it's four. Still Uh not sure. I'm pretty sure we all know your answers here, but just in case, let's make sure we all know. Collusion or no collusion and obstruction of justice or no obstruction of justice? Uh, Yes and yes. Yes there was collusion and yes there was obstruction of justice and yes the evidence is there that he should be impeached uh but no i don't think the country has the political will to go through that so uh he will be lucky as i said before he is luckier than oj he's going to get away without even being charged for his crimes oh man america was outraged at oj not a lot of outrage from the parts of america uh, that were outraged over oj about donald trump by the way have you just take a look at this? Yeah, I'm looking at all this. Redaction. I mean, just look. The New York Times has just laid it out. Folks, we got to talk about this with Romana when she comes in the studio because uh, any journalist in the city of Chicago that's filed a Freedom of Information uh, Act request seeking public documents from public officials, uh, <laughs> public officials is well aware of how they redact. That's a word that nobody even in America even knew until the other day. You know, you like you take out the good stuff that you really need to see to know what your government's up to, folks. Well, uh, Donnie Trump was up to that big time. Look at this page right here, Dean. Oh, yeah, great. You know, <laughs> this is great content for everybody listening. Uh, folks, Dennis, just look at this. <laughs> A lot of redactions on that page. All right, so no surprise here. The House Judiciary Committee has subpoenaed for the full Mueller report. Good. One without those redactions. Yes. Following Thursday's release by the Justice Department. Here's Chairman Gerald Nadler. Mm-hmm. Quote. This is a long one here, all right? My committee needs and is entitled to the full version of the report and the underlying evidence consistent with the past practice. The redactions appear to be significant. We have so far seen none of the actual evidence that the special counsel developed to make this case. 
Even the redacted version of the report outlined serious instances of wrongdoing by President Trump and some of his closest associates. It now falls to Congress to determine the full scope of that alleged misconduct and to decide what steps we must take going forward. Yes, uh, as a libertarian, uh, the inner libertarian in me wants to see all this information. I'm sure my brothers and sister in the libertarian movement uh, uh, will be joining me. I'm sure the, uh, the, the editors of the... Chicago Tribune editorial board will be joining me in my crusade to uh, unredact the Mueller report. But I actually have a uh, D uh, inside source uh, at <laughs> in the Justice Department and they've given wow. me the unredacted Mueller report. So I'm not going to read to you. Uh, okay. Here's the, the redacted part. Yeah. It's all blacked out. You don't know what it says, but here's what it actually says. Oh. This is a, a Recording of Donald Trump conversation. Yeah, I did it. Yeah, I met with Putin. Yeah, I cut a deal. Whoa, you have that? <laughs> It's that right there. People really want to see this. Yeah, that's the redacted report. Here, here's another one. Yeah, he was with those hookers in Moscow. Hey, oh, okay. I knew it. Yeah. Oh, God, folks. Oh, these are secrets you can't see because you're not supposed to know what your government's up to. Just rest assured, folks. <laughs> We're going to protect you from the people you elected by redacting the information. All the good stuff. They're not going to let you see. Oh, yeah, they always have some excuse for it here in Chicago. One time, Mayor Rahm, my favorite redaction of all time, somebody uh, uh, wanted to see some information about a school closing and what decisions, how the Board of Education under Rahm uh, reached its decision to close the school. And uh, so... <laughs> What an act of passive aggressiveness. Uh, Mayor Rahm School Board sent this person a blank piece of paper. There you go. Here's all the information. Blank piece of paper. Anyway, that kind of sums up Mayor Rahm's attitude toward transparency. And apparently, uh, folks in Washington, uh, William Barr's attorney general office, have the same attitudes about transparency that Mayor Rahm does. So see, there's just that's the Democrats coming together with the Republicans and saying, you don't get to see it, everybody. And transparency, transparency. who needs it? Yeah, it's over. Yeah, it's overrated. Overrated. Anyway. Now, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. Benny J, mm-hmm. for the fourth and final time this week. Yes, sir. You ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon? I was born ready. I love it. <laughs> because coming up after this break, people, we are going to find out what else is news. I cannot wait. It's the time of day with the doctor plucks that little trick out of his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. At Chicago Land Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicago Land Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. And then uh, earlier today, we were taped on Lumpen. Is that correct, sir? Yes, sir. A pre-recorded uh, uh, episode of the Ben Jarofsky Show was on Lumpen Radio at 12 noon today, yes. 105.5 FM. Ooh, back. We're back, baby. We really are back. You know, I love radio, everybody. And Lumpen Radio, that's where the Klonsky brothers are. Yeah. All right? Those crazy guys. Oh, those Klonskys. You can't take them anywhere. No. <laughs> those wild and crazy Klonskys. When the one brother, Uncle Fred was on vacation. The other brother, the, the brains of the bunch, Mike Klonsky, invited me on the show. Did you know that, D? Oh, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, I was, that was when I was in exile, when I was wandering through the desert without a, pl- a place to call home. The Klonskys welcomed me in their show, so God bless the Klonskys.
Klonsky brothers. Well, anyway. Well, you should return the favor. Let's get them on. Get the those Klonskys over there. No one will get a word in edgewise when you put the Klonsky brothers in the studio. Fantastic. Uh, but, uh, yes, so I'm really happy that uh, they're doing the best of the Bendrovsky show, and you put that together you did that yesterday right before this show yeah yeah absolutely good god the guy report was, was coming out I'm like i gotta put this lumping thing together i'll tell you what those guys are lumping are hard on uh dr d <laughs> hurry up work faster not a doctor but hey um yeah so check us out every friday on lumpen 105.5 fm 12 noon on fridays uh it's just kind of a best of we play you know some of the interviews throughout the week all right we're about to find out what's going on locally it's time for what else is news and today we're actually going to talk about one of the most grueling jobs in the city of Chicago, mm-hmm. a job that at times can be tougher than a plumber and dirtier <laughs> than a garbage man. It's the job of being the mayor's chief of staff. Today, our mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot has announced her first, and hopefully only, chief of staff. His name is Maurice Klassen, the former director of strategy for the Chicago Police Department, who served with Lightfoot on the task force for police accountability after the police shooting of Laquan McDonald. Now we have quotes and all that good stuff from Maurice Klassen, but Ben, I want to talk a, a little chief of staff past with you here, okay? All right. All right, good. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. Fran the Woe Man Spielman. Go mm-hmm. watch the Fran Spielman Show, chicago.suntimes.com. And Frank Maine. Of all the jobs Lori Lightfoot must fill, one has the greatest potential to make or break her day-to-day performance as Chicago's 56th mayor. It's Chief of Staff, a $195,000 a year pressure cooker of a job that chewed up and spit (laughs) out a dozen occupants during former Mayor Richard M. Daly's 22-year reign and five during Mayor Rahm Emanuel's eight-year tenure. Wow. All right, Ben, walk us through the drama here. What went down with Daly and Rahm's Chief of Staff? Any personal stories you can share in dealing with them? And quite frankly, why does this job seem to suck ass so hard? All right, wow. So many questions, uh, so little time time. Uh, I have had very few connections uh, with Chiefs of Staff uh, because a person like me, an outsider who's you know banging on the door, raising hell, is the last person in the world a Chief of Staff would want anything uh, to deal with. They've, if you think of me, go to the opposite, and that's the kind of person who could be the Chief of Staff. Uh, let's see, the current Chief of Staff, I think, is a gentleman named Joe Deal. I've never met him, uh, and uh, I can't remember who went before him. During the rock the daily years, I remember at one point, Forrest Claypool was a chief of staff. Uh, Gary Chico was a chief of staff. And the only chief of staff I ever had a good relationship was uh, Harold Washington's chief of staff. We get to back in the 80s. William Ware, may rest in peace. Uh, for some reason, he liked me. I don't know why, but anyway, I had a pretty good relationship with him. But here's the deal with chief of staff, so far as I could tell. Number one, it's a job I can never have in a million years because it requires an insane amount of uh, dedication to the job. In other words, hours. got to work lot. Lots and lots of hours. So think of think my lifestyle. Like last night, I what went time over, did you wake up today? I woke up today at the crack of nine a, nine a.m. Oh, I was okay. up early, all right. All right. All right. But like last night, I went over to my good dear friend uh, uh, Miles' house. Uh, his dad Cap welcomed me over. We watched a basketball game. All right, chief of staffs can't watch, hang out with Cap watching basketball games uh, till midnight. And uh, so you know. And then uh, I watched Ricky Gervais's show. Love Ricky Gervais. Have you ever seen Ricky Gervais? Yeah, I've show? seen Ricky Gervais. It's so funny. Folks, I, th- I think Ricky Gervais is really funny. Anyway, Chief of Staff doesn't have time to watch Ricky Gervais show. I think I've watched um, 
uh, Django, the movie by Quentin Tarantino, about 20 times. This la- Chief of Staff can't watch it once. I've watched it 20 times. Right. So in other words, things that you, me, Miles, Cap, everybody, just normal human beings take for granted, Chief of Staff can't do because they're relentlessly like doing Chief of Staff things, working late into the night. The other thing they have to do, D, and this is probably the most important trait or characteristic Chief of Staff has to do. One, a chief of staff has to be sort of like bipolar. You have to be really nice and suck up to the person who's your boss, meaning the mayor, the president, you know, whoever the boss no, is. No, you'd be awful at yeah, that. Yeah, I'm terrible at that. And then number two, you got to be really mean and nasty to everybody else because you're the no person. People want to get to the mayor. No, you can't. So you got to be nice to the boss, mean to everybody else. All right, got that? That's the number one qualification. Well, number two, number one is you got to be willing to work insane hours and be put up with your boss screaming at you when anything goes wrong. So, yes, it is a pretty worthless job. I wouldn't want to do it in a million years, but I guess someone has to do it. So, All right. Well, I'll put your resume away. Yeah, remember, staff. nice to boss, nasty to everybody else. That's what you have to be in order to be a chief of staff. Well, I hope Maurice Klassen's listening. Here's the <laughs> quote from Lori Lightfoot's chief of staff, Maurice Klassen, quote, I'd be overselling my experience if I said that you're ready to run a $9 billion organization, having not run a $9 billion organization <laughs> on day one. But I can tell you that my experience across a series of other places in high-pressure organizations has prepared me as well as I can for this position. Running strategy for the Chicago Police Department, developing multi-million dollar anti-violence and policing strategies for philanthropies in Chicago and across the country, handling 65 cases before a jury while I was in Seattle running a small business. I have a diversity of experience that prepares me, uh, that prepares me well to be able to execute on the mayor elects vision. Mm. There's a hell of a lot more in this article about Maurice class and go check out the article from France Spielman and Frank Maine in the Chicago sun times titled no stranger to politics or controversy. Ben Jarofsky, how do you think old Maurice class will fare out here? I'm sure he'll be exhausted. He'll (laughs) he'll not watch any Ricky Gervais, but I'm gonna give you that advice. Maurice Clausen, a man I've never met before, and who would probably run the other way if he saw me. Here's all you need to know to survive as chief of staff. One, suck up to the boss. Two, be mean and nasty to everybody else. You'll be fine. There you go. Good cop and bad cop. You got to play both cops there. Yeah. Good cop to the top cop. Bad cop to everybody else. Get out of here. No. Yes, boss. Did I tell you you look lovely today? That's generally what you have to do if you're chief of staff. Awesome. Well, we got a little more time here. Right now posted on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page is the latest Chicago Reader column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, you say uh-oh. And I'm saying uh-oh, too. I read this thing. And well, Ben, basically, I got my bags packed over here in the corner of the door here. So in case we get the boot again go ahead and explain to everybody your latest chicago reader column what's the title again uh what is the title i'll look it up you tell everybody oh no i have it right here my reader hold on the real reader all right a newspaper reader (laughs) so many newspapers today i've got manafort report i manafort did i say man Mueller report your kind (laughs) tribute with a picture of bar walking down the hallway and then uh that's uh, my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times. By the way, Ramana Hussein has entered the building. Ramana Hussein has entered the building. Always loving my guests coming to the studios. Uh, Chicago politics as usual. All right. Get Explain it? this piece of work. And, uh... Politics as opposed to politics. Get it? Politics. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I just got it. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. You got to go visit that cookie, man. <laughs> All right, folks. Come on, man. You knew I was going to do it. I was so upset last week. 
when the city council in its infinite wisdom decided to approve uh, the um, Lincoln Yards and 78 TIF deal. It's going to take $2.3 billion of your property tax dollars. Open window. Throw out window. There you go. Uh, that I just I wrote this story. And um, yeah, I, but the this, one of the themes of the story is that... Um, we did not have a leadership uh, from Lori Lightfoot on in imposing these TIF deals. Uh, I did not feel uh, she stood up strong enough uh, to Mayor Rahm. I know I'm not blaming her for the deal. It was Mayor Rahm's idea to negotiate this deal. It's a terrible deal for the taxpayers of the city of Chicago. Uh, and it was fraudulently presented to us as a deal that will increase property taxes and help uh, pay our bills when, in fact, we will not get any of the benefits, property tax benefits, for 23 years. That's how TIF deals work. So we're going to have to raise everybody's taxes to accommodate for the money we're not getting out of these properties in the interim. All right. So it was a fraudulently sold to the city of Chicago, hence Politrix. And I wish that Lori Lightfoot had stood up uh, to the deals. I said, many the last couple of days I've been comparing, uh, you know, uh, Chicago mayors and politicians to Patrick Beverly. Uh, the scrappy point guard for the Los Angeles Clippers, who's fearless, who stands up to Kevin Durant, who just uh, is just uh, unafraid to take uh, the you know the toughest challenge. And uh, in this column, I compared uh, Chicago politicians to the monsters of the midway, the Chicago Bears, the tough Dick Butkus and Mike Singletary, Chicago Bears, who are also fearless. So I'm hoping for better things to come uh, from Mayor-elect Lightfoot. Uh, with TIF deals. Not this one, though. I was a little disappointed uh, in how she did not stand up and fight it. So that's what I wrote about, folks. It's an honest piece from our host, Ben Jarofsky, and that's why we like him. <laughs> Go check out the column. Yeah. It's posted on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. And just in case if people want to look you up old school, Ben, spell that last name for him. J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. It's also on our Twitter page as well. And speaking of uh, our social media, we are having a caption contest today. We're going to end it out. It's a Donald Trump hugging the flag like a weirdo caption contest. Martwick's going to have to make the decision. Yes, our guest at 2.30, Robert Martwick, Illinois State Rep, is going to have the uh, unfortunate job of selecting a winner for our caption contest. A lot of funny captions. Head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page now. We're uh, still looking for captions. We'll be reading the latest ones we have at 2 o'clock. So head over there now and uh, leave your captions. Who knows? We read it on the air. At the end of the program, Rob Martwick is going to select our winner. Good luck. All right. Very good luck, oh, Rob and hey. Martwick. Yeah. Now you're in the know of what's going on in Chicago, and now you'll have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? Right, let me tell you something. Tell me. Something that Rob Martwick, okay. Robbie Gold, who used to kick for the Chicago Bears, oh, cool. and Rob Reiner, who was Meathead and All in the Family. They all agree. You did a great job. You did way more than that Meathead character. Okay. Take it out of petty cash. We got Romano Hussein sitting here, folks. We'll bring her on right after this. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. 
That's chicagoreader.com. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. Ramana Hussain is in the studio. Uh, Sometimes editor, our weekly Friday guest. Love the Ramana Rundown. Sometimes where are our Ramana Rundown t-shirts, all right? Huh? Come on. I'm not that important. You're important to us, and you're important to me. I want those t-shirts. Anyway, I got a feeling it's going to be a while before I get those t-shirts. <laughs> Ramana Hussein, um, first of all, welcome back. Thank you again. As Thanks always. for having me. Uh, all right. Where do we start? You have breaking news for me. Yeah. It feels like every time I come into this <laughs> radio station, I'm getting, I'm, do, I'm working on a Smollett story. Yes. I was, I literally just finished editing a breaking news story. Kim Fox put out a statement saying that she's not going to comment on the Smollett case uh, until the um, Office of Inspector General, that's a county's Office of Inspector General, does its um, independent investigation as to how her office handled the case. So, I mean, she's talked about it, so it's not like she's, she just all of a sudden doesn't want to talk about it anymore. All right, so explain that to people. Like, is that a legitimate excuse on her part? Is that a, uh, a concoction, a contrivance to sort of put the story behind it? What is it? Is it a combination of both? I, I think it could be a combination of both. I mean, technically, I think when, you know, a lot of people are being investigated, not that she specifically is being investigated, but the office, people don't talk about the specific case or incident I guess that's protocol but she has been talking about it I mean she when I think when the charges were dropped I think the day of or maybe the day after there was like she was on TV she was on CNN I know the Tribune didn't get a call until five and I don't think we got a call until seven Mm -hmm. which I think is interesting because these are the two court reporters so we didn't get the the two court reporters who actually cover courts weren't really contacted until later mm-hmm. in the day, which I think is kind of interesting because these two individuals probably know the most about how court cases and cases in general, you know, or how the court system takes place, you know, how it's run would know. So I don't know. She's talked about it. I know the latest interview was in Tribe, which is an online publication. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when the interview was. I think it's said sometime in April, so I can't say what how recently it was. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that was the last thing I saw because I saw it on Twitter and I, I I saw the interview with her. Yeah, I I, I have to agree with you. I think that uh, uh, once an investigation has started, you really are you got to shut up. I guess that's what the rule is. Yeah, people say I can't talk to you because my lawyer and this and that the other thing. Uh, but then, yeah, it's bizarre because she had been talking about it before the investigation. So there's already a, a track rec- a record, you know, trail. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, there are a lot of intelligent people who have spoken with her, you know, in the past couple of days. But I just find it interesting that people who actually cover courts weren't granted those interviews. You know, people who actually cover the criminal justice system weren't granted the interviews. Like so, Andy Grimm? Yeah, like Andy Grimm or Megan Crapeau. I mean... Really, if you think about it, there it's only the Chicago Sun-Times and the Chicago Tribune that are at 26 and Cal pretty much five days a week. Mm-hmm. A lot of other people kind of parachute in. Yeah. And so I, I'm just talking about as a criminal courts reporter, we'd had people parachute in all the time from all different 
publications through the city, half of them didn't understand how the court system worked. I mean, for example, this is just just showing you how things, you know, I know people would come from different radio stations and they'd be at a hearing like, you know, a lot of a lot of things don't start on time at right. 26 and oh, Cal. Oh, God, yeah. And so you'd be sitting there and, you know, these people from different radio stations and different TV stations, even, even news, you know, newspaper publications, they'd be sitting there like, oh, I got here since like nine o'clock. And I'm like, if you covered the courthouse, you'd know that nothing starts yeah. on time. And it's like, and, I, and I'm not saying, you know, this to you know put anybody down but people really don't understand how the you know the court system works if you don't cover it 24 7 i mean i've sat when i was covering the Kwan mcdonald trial i mean people started to one woman young woman took pictures where she wasn't supposed to and she you know she, the cops took her in the back and you know they questioned her and so it's like people do that kind of stuff all the time so that's why whenever there's a high profile case the judges tell us like you need to make sure people are listening i mean I was once covering a pre-trial hearing with Laquan McDonald and someone took a picture. Nobody caught this person, but then she t- she was about to tweet it and asked me if she could tweet it. And I'm like, you better not because you'll be held contempt of court. So I'm just saying there's like minor things like that. A lot of people don't understand, you know, 26 and Cal if you're not there all the time. Yeah. So or how things work. So I just find it curious that she actually hasn't sat down in long interviews with people who actually cover well, that's the, uh, the 26 and that's Cal. a fine tradition here uh, in the current <laughs> political age. Mayor Rahm loves to give interviews with people yeah, outside true, of Chicago. True. That is true. Who don't know anything about Chicago. His essays get printed. Yeah, and I, 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 I just get, his essays get printed in different publications, which is, uh, I guess it's fair. It's fair. Like I'm saying, it's not like all these other people that are, have been interviewing her don't know what they're talking about but it there's a lot of nuanced things like i don't i I just find it interesting that nobody nobody has asked her like why did you have this emergency meeting why was jesse smollett allowed to proclaim his innocence like none of those like you know after after charges were dropped and you know it's like those questions were not answered. Well, but this is, and one of my favorite themes is comparing uh, Jesse Smollett's case to Donald Trump's uh, because <laughs> Jesse Smollett, you're right, uh, proclaimed his innocence and jo- Donald Trump has been running around yes, proclaiming sure. his. So it's the same thing. So when you think about it, when you compare the two, uh, in your humble opinion, Romano, who got off easier, Jesse Smollett <laughs> or Donald Trump? I would have to say Donald Trump. I mean, I, I, I admit I didn't read tons about the Mueller report because I was uh, editing a lot of stuff actually about 26 and cal yesterday there's a lot lot going on in the courthouse um not jesse smollett related (laughs) incidentally but um yesterday i I was looking at the Mueller report um some like little bits and snippets and it's like over 400 pages yeah and a lot of redactions uh people were talking about how the i I saw somebody tweeted that the Mueller report actually looks like a crossword puzzle yes it does (laughs) i don't know someone told me that the colbert (laughs) stephen colbert basically had uh someone he was reading it and then every time there was a redaction gilbert godfried like screams redaction or something like that that's what someone told me to listen to like the actual reading of it so yeah i mean donald trump said game over i i don't watch game of thrones but someone told me that's a reference to or i read that it's a reference to game of thrones yeah it's a he shouted game over in much the same way that jesse smollett uh shouted that he was innocent yeah Uh, by the way the sun times has a a nice breakdown of this today sometimes the real newspaper folks the real one not that thing on the internet the real newspaper uh, and uh, it says, 
uh, it has the numbers of redactions. So 951 total redactions in the uh, Mueller report. 39.3% of the 448 pages contained a redaction, 39%. 69.8% of pages about Russian election meddling had redactions. Isn't that uh, interesting? Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like the, look at the New York Times right here is a picture of a redacted page. Oh, so that's the, pretty cool. Yeah, the New York Times, I know they did a good job. 13.2% of pages about whether Trump committed obstruction contained redactions. All the good stuff is redacted. Yeah, of course. That always happens, doesn't it? I mean... And then let me ask you this, this last one, get your opinion. You covered uh, the courthouse for a long time and you've been uh, covering Chicago politics or editing articles about Chicago politics for a long time. Roughly 45% of redactions were labeled harm to ongoing matter, 37% related to grand jury testimony, 10% to personal privacy, and roughly 8% to investigative techniques. Now, these are the uh, the reasons that William Barr, the attorney general, cited for redaction. Yeah. Uh, am I too cynical and jaded uh, in my sense that that's all made up, that it's not it done could be. for any of the... Okay. It could be. I mean, I, I'm not like the FOIA expert, mm-hmm. but, you know, I have seen FOIAs that other people have uh, gotten in the newsroom. I did like a couple, and it's always like the good parts are the ones that are redacted. They're like, well, what good is this? I remember just even like a small... I had to FOIA uh, an accident seen once or a a car accident and it was a pretty minor case Mm -hmm. but i remember everything that i wanted to know about it was redacted so i don't know it's a little it's a little curious i think most reporters are going to be cynical and say were were they necessary yeah you know how hard do you think they'll fight to uh keep these redactions out i don't know i heard the democrats were wasn't there something filed today or somebody had uh petitioned yeah, you know. in uh, uh, I think Jerry Nadler, the congressman, the, the head of the committee. You know, here's the the, the thing of it is, um, is that uh, I I would say a legitimate redaction is I look a phone number or an, an address, address, you know, that reveals or maybe the name of a minor aide who uh, should not be a public person. Um, I, I just don't buy that these so pages and pages of redactions uh, about uh, what our president was up to and uh, whether he was you know, lying, whether he's obstructing justice, whether uh, he was colluding with the Russians. I just don't buy it, Ramon. I agree. I, I, I just feel like it's interesting because you know, people are saying, depending on what, how you feel politically, you're going to look at this completely different. And the whole time I'm thinking yes, yesterday and just in general, what I've been thinking of since Donald Trump has been elected is what if this was Barack Obama? Mm-hmm. I think this, I think it totally, the way it's treated, it was, would have been different. It's, I think he would have been impeached or something oh by now. Goodness. And it's just, I just find it mind boggling. I feel like every day Donald Trump is doing something and just him tweeting constantly and it's just well, I, you know, I, just I mean, to, he's a, he has a right to tweet, but it's just some of the stuff that he tweets is just n- no. It well, I don't. Does he? I mean, yes, he has a right to tweet, uh, but, but that's all he's doing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I would say that, um, and I'm pretty certain that I speak for a lot of my friends in the journalism business. There, there is really no liberal or conservative uh, when it comes to a journalist fight with powers that be. 
if you're covering somebody and they're just screwing you over or they threw it they closed the door excuse me close the door in your face or they're holding back information um they're making your life difficult they're being unreasonable so you think everybody thinks that it's wrong like both sides i'm saying no no i completely uh i think when it comes to reporters that by and large that, in, that you want to know. You want to know of what course. the information is and you doubt the official reasons and you doubt that, that they justified for having blacking this out. Oh, I agree. I think I think if this was like the tables were turned, if Barack Obama was, you know, the one, you know, that was being investigated, I think we would have wanted to, I think most journalists would want to find and search the truth. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think there's just different people who would say different things yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, politically. So, but yeah, I think reporters just want to find the truth. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I know going back to the Smollett case, I think, you know, there are some people who are like, oh, who cares? You know, Laquan McDonald, you know, nobody, nobody cared about that. But I think that's apples and oranges. I, I don't really I think a lot of people don't really care about what if Jesse Smollett went to prison or not. But. I think some people feel like, oh, you know, because it's not that big of a deal, it doesn't matter how the case was handled. And I understand, like, there's, like, reaction on both sides that are a little, you know, a little maybe extreme. But I think I think journalists just want to know the truth as to how she came about this decision. So well, yeah, not, no, to, not to compare uh, the two cases. Well, no, I actually, uh, I've been accused by many people of doing apples to oranges uh, on a Smollett and Trump, but I see many parallels uh, to them. It, it First of all, the behavior of William Barr, the Attorney General of the United States, uh, where he, instead of acting like an independent overseer, yeah. uh, which is what you would want from your Attorney General, is essentially a defense attorney, you know, uh, exaggerating the defenses and claims that Trump has uh, minimizing the accusations uh, that are against him to sort of say, well, there's nothing here to see. Yeah. So, so that's why some people are like, okay, it says no collusion as we talk. That's what it says. But does that really mean it? And especially we said 69% of, did you say 69% of uh, information that dealt with the Russian elections oh, yes. was redacted? No, no. Um, was the, the, it, it was something. It's, okay. It's maybe roughly, it was high. Yeah. No, it's 69.8%, yeah. roughly 70%, like 70% of pages of about Russian election meddling had redacted. So 70% oh, okay. of, the cha- of the pages themselves. That's, that's yeah. a lot. So on every single page. Yeah. Years ago, uh, I was a. Uh, uh, McDumkey, you're McDumkey, like you don't know McDumkey. And I were, we were foying uh, information. I think it was from Rauner, mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Rauner's administration for his diaries. I wish Mick were here. He, his memory is so much better than mine on these stories. Uh, but uh, I, I just came back. It was hilarious. It was just one redaction after another black. That was such a joke. Um, but going back to the Kim, the Kim Fox thing, the issue, as I see it with Kim Fox, is how much influence did people outside of her office have on her and how she handled that Jussie Smollett case? To me, that's the most compelling uh, issue. And that's the similar to Barr. It's like you, you want your chief law enforcement officer you know, or prosecutor to be free of bias. And then, you know, of course, the real world is different. Yeah, of course. And that's what, I, I, as, as a reporter, as someone who covered 26 and Cal, that's what's the crux of the matter. Not that Jesse Smollett spent, you know, time in prison. I don't care if he, personally, I, I really, I mean, I can tell you, I don't really care if he spent time in prison for that. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, him making false accusations, you know, allegedly making false accusations about a hate crime isn't 
the biggest thing in the world. There's a lot more crime happening in the city. Yeah. But I actually do not think Jesse Smollett <laughs> should spend time personally. When I th- yeah, I, I don't I don't think he needed to spend time in no. prison. I, the whole question is how did the office handle the case? Absolutely. I, and I think there I think there are questions that aren't answered and, and haven't been answered. And he probably should be required uh, to pay back the money that the city spent investigating his false claims. Well, the city has sued, so. The city has sued, yeah, <laughs> so so we'll, good luck with that this one. Is, I, I'm telling you the story, every time I think like there's not gonna be a Jesse Smollett story for the Sun-Times, there's a Jesse Smollett story for the Sun-Times. Oh no, it'll go on, it'll yeah. go on for a long, long time. This is gonna go on for a long time. And you know, a lot of people, nobody knew who Jesse Smollett was before this. <laughs> Before this case even happened, and, and that's why I find it funny. We you know the emails that came out and the texts that came out that Kim Fox called Jesse Smollett a washed-up actor, and I was like, "Oh, you have to be somewhat famous to become washed up." Yeah. But, <laughs> but I thought those I, that made that did make me chuckle a little. And I might have even seen Jesse Smollett um, when there was there was one time Empire was being shot at Twenty Six and Cal. And uh, the Cook County Sheriff's deputy let me come upstairs, and I saw a bunch of actors sitting down there. I'm pretty sure I saw Jesse Smollett sitting there waiting. It was a, it was like the the patriarch of the family was going to jail, so he was sitting there in his jumpsuit. Uh, I had never heard of Jesse Smollett. I have embarrassing to say this. I'd never heard of him until the story broke. You know, his sister was a very famous uh, child actress. I, Ger- Gurney, Journey Smollett. So I, I know her. So when I heard his name, I was like, oh, I bet he's her brother. And he turned out to be her brother. Uh, I'm ignorant about that as well. All right, <laughs> You now, probably have seen movies with her in the 90s. She was in a lot of movies. I've probably seen movies with him or TV shows with him or something. I just, but when, until the story broke, I didn't know who he was. All right. Now, I have to ask you about my uh, definition of chief of staff. We were talking about um, uh, the chief of staff that Mayor Rahm has, uh, excuse me, that uh, Mayor elect uh, Lori. Uh, uh, has uh, a point in Maurice Klassen, who was in the Sun Times. Yeah, uh, Fran and uh, Fran Spielman and Frank Main had written written. Did you story edit that one? It. I didn't edit that one. Okay. So I admit that I'm not an expert. Have you? Story. Do you? Do you read the stories if you don't? Uh-oh, truth I, is coming out here. <laughs> well, a lot of times I'm editing half of the paper, so not all the time, but there's very few editors. But sometimes, technically, I'm not Fran's editor, mm-hmm. but a lot of times I do. Edit Fran's story, but I didn't see that one. Well, this uh, I do try to read. Sometimes I'm so burned out, I don't want to look at the paper the next day because I edit it so much. Uh, this one, I'm just curious. My they talk about the uh, chief of staff and what a terrible job it is. And my uh, my opinion, the chief of staffs, the chief. Uh, obligations. The toughest part of it is uh, you have to be sort of uh, schizophrenic. You have to uh, suck up to the person who hired you, your mayor, and uh, make sure you treat him or her really uh, nicely. And then you have to be a mean, SOB, nasty person to everybody else to, to, to deter them from wanting to even daring to ask the mayor for something. Do you buy that definition? Yeah, it's probably that's what you probably have to do when you're the chief of staff. You Probably just that's you're probably getting paid the big bucks, so it maybe it's worth it. It's probably, I mean, there's so many times you hear about people who are chief of staffs and they just quit, so they probably get fed up with it. But I don't know, it might be it might be fun for a while as long as you have to do it all the time. Oh, god, I would hate that job. They also in the um, in the Sun Times today and on a more serious level, I would love to get your thoughts on this again. Ramana covered uh, uh, the criminal George uh, justice building uh, to 26 in Cal for years at the Sun Times and now edits many of these uh, criminal justice stories. Man convicted of 1989 double murder released. I'll read you the lead uh, after serving nearly 30 years behind bars for a double murder on the South Side. 
A man who said he was tortured by detectives was released late Thursday from jail while he awaits a new trial for the 1989 crime. James Gibson, who was granted a new trial after a state appeals court found he'd been beaten during his interrogation by former Chicago police commander John Burgess underlings, posted the $2,000 needed to secure his release hours after a brief court hearing. When you hear, when you, did you, you probably edited I did edit one. that one. I don't know the facts about the case that much, but a lot, there, there were witnesses who recanted their statements and the fact that he was tortured, he deserves a new trial. I think most people would argue and say that he does deserve a new trial because you hear about all these John Burge cases one after another and you know people have talked about the allegations of torture i think a higher court had found that there were was evidence that he was in fact beaten mm-hmm. so how do, i mean how do we deal with that uh it's that this is a really difficult wrestling uh, match i have many cops uh have told me uh they think that the press is unfair the way they cover these stories uh there are those who think the whole thing is just like a giant conspiracy uh we're manufactured by lawyers who are looking for a good payout when they sue the city mm-hmm. uh and uh and we're i don't buy any i don't buy that yeah but i i do think that there's these moments where you have somebody who make was tortured which is horrible there's no justification for but that you're just saying that they still could have done it but i mean yeah did 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 they do it? And you wrestle with that. You yeah, I mean, saying? I think I, I did cover Burge when he was um, for per, the, his perjury case at federal court. I remember that. And then they were, you know, they had several men testify, you know, men who were tortured. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was the Wilson brothers. Yeah. Their case came up, I think. Andrew and Jackie yeah. Wilson. And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that much about the case, but some people would say that, you know, there was a lot of evidence that they did it, but... Do they, you know, did they deserve to get beaten while they're questioned? And that's the that's the thing. I mean, I covered some Burge cases or cases where men had said that they were, you know, basically tortured into confession. Um, one case was uh, it was a gang rape and murder of a woman, and he was inside the house, and he was exoner he was uh, I shouldn't say exonerated. He had his charges dropped, but he never got his uh, you know certificate of innocence because the judge said. Just because his charges were dropped and he was released, that doesn't mean, I don't think there's evidence that he was not involved in the case. So there are cases where they won't get their certificate of innocence. And that's when they can ask the state for money for all, you know, for the wrongful conviction. So I think, I mean, I think it is kind of a complex question because I bet a lot of these men, some of them didn't do it and maybe some of them did. You know, I don't know every single specific case, but there was a lot of cases when I was at 26 and Cal. That's when they appointed a special prosecutor to look into these um, allegations of torture. When you were uh, covering all these cases, uh, how often do you would you uh, you sit through a trial, hear the testimony, uh, review the evidence? How often did you find yourself saying, oh, my God, I totally disagreed with that verdict? Uh, I th- thought the person was innocent when proven, when established guilt or the other way around. I don't remember how many times I felt it, but there were t- definitely times where I sat there and go, God, I'd be that juror who would not, you know, not think that there was you know, reasonable evidence that mm-hmm. this person did it. So sometimes there's like a little nugget that would make me think. But there's definitely some cases where I sat in and it's like within minutes, I'm like, well, I think there's enough evidence to show that this guy did it. But it's I would hate to be in a jury. I can tell you that much because sometimes these cases are complex. They're not that black and white, but there are cases. I don't know if you did you ever listen to the serial podcast? 
the one that everybody was talking about. It got really. Catchy. I know everybody talked about yeah, it. Yeah, well, it was it. a it was an interesting case because I'm I'm South Asian and my younger sister actually knows someone that. So my sister told me about this case years ago, and then then it became the subject of a serial, this podcast that mm-hmm. like just blew up, and they just had an HBO series on it. And as someone who covered criminal courts. I'm not necessarily, everybody's sold on this guy's innocence. I'm not necessarily sold on his innocence, but I do think he deserves a new trial based on what I've heard in the case in the case and how it was handled. But yeah, that's like what you brought up. It's like just because someone gets a new trial doesn't necessarily mean that they're innocent. I mean, there's been cases where um, there probably is evidence, you know, that, you know, that they might have committed this crime when they're retried. But a lot of times the prosecutors are like, it's just going to be too much work or we probably don't have enough evidence or the witnesses have all died. And, you know, they decide not to retry the cases. But it's always interesting to talk to the men who were in prison for all these years who were wrongfully convicted because there's definitely some cases. And it was interesting because every time you talk to them, they were all just really happy and nobody was ever mad except this one time there's one guy said that he was really pissed off so i, I thought that was interesting because a lot of people what do you mean he was he was well a lot of times they come out and they're just like i'm just happy that you know i got out and you know you'd ask them like aren't you mad that you were in prison for like two decades like yeah. basically we're 20 now you're in your 40s and you know they'd be like no i'm just happy you know i prayed a lot and then none of them would none of them would be that angry because i guess they've been in prison for so long they gotten used to that life but one time there was this one time where i remember i asked this guy and he was really mad so i thought that was kind of interesting how like you know they kind of came to peace with it that they were going to go to prison for that long i just can't imagine being at peace with it if i didn't commit the crime that's oh, all absolutely. i can say so i don't know I, it's just very interesting talking the human element is just very interesting at 26 and cal i think when you talk to a lot of these I, I, people I, the notion of being uh unfairly uh, convicted of a crime uh, that I didn't commit is just one. Of, it's so terrifying. It, I know. You know? And I, I just can't imagine. And it does happen. You know, I know we were talking about, you time. know, people <laughs> being tortured and still committing the crime, but there's a lot of, you know, cases where there's no evidence that that person did. And Ramana, how crime. much sympathy do you have for police? Officers? I'm sure you've heard it from police officers yourself uh, when they tell you that this is just bogus. It's just a manufactured industry that um, uh, these are just lawyers playing the game to get more money. And uh, I've even heard police officers, I mean, that's defend Burge, who, of course... Um, well, you know, Burge was actually... Um, when I was covering the Burge case, Carol Marine told me that Burge was very popular with reporters. She was telling me that um, a lot of people hung out with him. And he was one of those people who was very media-friendly, which, you know, I wouldn't know because I was a kid when it happened. But she's like, I- I'm God, why am I forgetting the name of the reader reporter who, who John uncovered Conroy. it? John, yeah, he was great. I actually sat next to him during most of the trial. But Carol Marine covered the case, and she was telling me, she was like, he was very popular with the press. He was very media-friendly. And I, she goes, I when the articles came out, I think a lot of reporters even she was telling me weren't necessarily buying the story. Well, a lot of reporters, I mean, they're again, they're in that position. We were talking about this before. Yeah. There's so much cynicism on the part of reporters because you deal with your lied to constantly. Yeah, by all sides. All sides. It's, it, I mean, I when I was at 26 and Cal, there were one, you know, my door would be open in the press room and these cops would come in and they, you know, they go, who do you work for? And I'd say, sometimes, like, oh, you guys always like write about like, you know, how bad cops are. And I'm like, not necessarily. I go, we write a lot about hero cops all the time and they're like yeah whatever and then then you know you have people who are you know 
you know, I've done stories and the defense attorneys yell at me because I write what happened during the trial. And, you know, I write about the person's criminal background and they're like, oh, you didn't have to put that in the story. I'm like, well, but it's on the record. It's in the computer cases. So then they tell you that you're very pro prosecution. And so it's like you hear it from both sides when you cover the criminal courthouse. But, you know, it's not like, you know, police officers, there's definitely a problem in the city. I mean, you know, we hear about the Laquan McDonald case and, you know, just we were talking about last week, the Marshall High School situation where the girl was pushed down the stairs and police originally their story was different. So there's definitely questions. But, you know, I think officers do have a hard job. I wouldn't say that their job is easy. I don't envy them. But, you know, there are are there crooked cops? Yes. But there's probably some cops who do try. But, yeah, I do think that cops tend to side to one. If you tell them there's I think there's evidence that they're like, oh, you don't know what it's like. And that you when you talk to them one on one, they tell you that you have no idea what it's like. Yeah. So it's very easy for you. And that might be true. I don't know what I don't know what it's like to be a cop. But, you know, there are questions and I go, you know, you guys have to be questioned. And there are a lot of questionable things that are happening in the police department. So. Uh, we are uh, heading down the, the final uh, uh, weeks of Mayor Rahm's uh, term in office, time in office. And I just thought, do you, uh, are you appreciating him more <laughs> as we come down the wire? Are you uh, getting old uh, Lang Syne uh, about him? Uh, uh, no, not necessarily. But um, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's feeling. I know you. <laughs> You think those tears weren't necessarily real, but... <laughs> Wait a minute. Cynical, <laughs> jaded journalist Romano Hussein who covered 26 there, and I, I am very cynical. I am very cynical, but yeah. I'm also like, I, I do kind of give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes. <laughs> and I know, I know everybody likes ripping on Rom, but I'm like... There and and I'm not saying I probably rip on him too, but I don't think I'm I'm not one of those people that's like everything Rom does is like you don't trust anything he does and. Hmm. I don't think. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm, hold on. Let me well, think about know. that for a I second. I think. I think. I think. You know, he'll be fine. Like, I'm not worried. I'm not getting like weepy about it or anything like that. I think whatever he does in his post mayoral life. Well, we. Ha- I had a a, a, a great debate uh, with uh, Tommy. McAmey, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> he told me about uh, it. Yeah, and uh, Tom McNamee, the editorial page editor of the Sun Times, uh, good friend of this show, I might say. He'll probably be back next week. Uh, Tommy Mack. But he was, I'm going to do my best to paraphrase his position. And his position uh, was that Mayor Rahm and Governor Rauner, he added Governor Rauner to this bunch, mm-hmm. uh, were not inherently bad people, that they are inherently good people who woke up every day. Um, why are you laughing? I'm just saying, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I can't even say whether yeah, they're inherently good I know, good but good or bad, who woke up every day thinking, what can they do to make life better for people in the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois? And I just um, had a, I mean, with all due respect to Tom, I had to completely disagree with him. I don't believe he woke up thinking that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think he necessarily woke up thinking that either. I don't think a lot of politicians wake up thinking like, what am I going to do to make it easier for all my constituents? I don't think that's yeah. true of most politicians, but uh, I don't know. I think I think Rom uh, definitely got a, you know a lot of negative more than Daly did, and you know I think that's one of the things that's interesting. I do think people look at Rom as an outsider, North Shore guy, and Daly they look at as someone who really cared about the city. I think when even people saw that you know they're like okay even if there was some sort of if there was a, a scandal in his office people really thought that he cared about the city i remember covering uh 
City Hall as a youngster and we'd go in this press van and go to events and when Fran would start questioning these uh, you know daily about you know would it be, it'd be a ribbon like for example it'd be a ribbon cutting ceremony at a senior citizen center and you know Fran obviously doesn't want to talk about the senior citizen center so like she starts grilling him about you know hired truck scandal and all these like old people would be leave him alone you know so I don't think you would ever see that at a press conference with where people are grilling ROMs I think people really saw daily as the Chicago guy. And I think that's one of the problems. So I I completely agree with you. And in that regard, uh, Rom had it tougher than Mayor Daly. And I never really, I never bought the, he cares about Chicago thing either. I guess I'm really jaded. You know what I'm (laughs) saying? You didn't think Daly? I know. It just kind of came off as he's the Chicago guy. Well, he was a Chicago guy. So people, I, I really just from that short time as someone that was young, just watching him, like people just loved him. It was just like anywhere you went when we'd go to these like, you know, press events, it's just like people would just come up to him and tell him how much they loved him. And oh my God. And like yes. I said, these Fingers. like old ladies and canes would always be yelling at Fran and go, leave him alone. Leave him alone. So, leave like, him poor <laughs> so I never saw that with Rom or no. not. I never heard of that. Yeah. And, and, and so uh, Daly was a beneficiary, you're right, of this adulation, this notion. And I could go on and on about this topic, but I'll hold off for the moment. But um, that enabled him to get away with a lot of behavior uh, that would never be tolerated, that shouldn't have been tolerated. Sure. I think of Meg's Field. You know, oh, sure. He came I remember he that. Yeah. Meg, Meg's Field. And, uh, and then he was just reelected four years after that. And, uh, you know, look at Rahm. Uh, he... He covered up. He buried the um, the video of Laquan McDonald's murder, uh, and as a result, I think effectively one thing led to another. He couldn't run again because yeah. he knew he was going to lose. That'll, I, it cost Anita Alvarez her job too. Cost Anita so. Alvarez her job. So uh, I believe Daly probably would have survived that. Yeah, you know what I'm I saying. I think so too. And um, so people, yeah, they gave up a lot by just with that knee jerk reaction. Oh, he loves Chicago. He yeah. cares about. One time I was at a public hearing, Romana, and a lady got up. It was a budget hearing. And she goes, the sun, she was telling daily, and she goes, the sunrises look really better <laughs> since you've been mayor. I'm like, hey, the same old sunrises. You know, me, uh, you know, Mayor Daly was mayor up until when I was a teenager and until like I was a middle aged woman. So it's like he was, he was there forever. Yeah. Okay. You were not a middle aged woman but when Mayor Daly left. You're way too hard on yourself. You're way younger than me. Uh, that's Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., 
live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by four at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, how's it going? Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, April 19th is just moments away. But before we get into hour number two, we would like to thank the following unions again for helping us out here and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. First, thank you goes to the International Association of Machinist and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. Ben, tell them thanks. Thanks, Aerospace. (laughs) Almost said Aerosmith. I I almost did, Ryan Kelly. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. Thanks. Jeff Johnson. Yeah, thanks. And the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Ed Maher. Big Eddie was in the studio yesterday. You can check that one out. It was a great interview. And then we uh, had brought steve lester back chicago symphony orchestra come on city of chicago put some pressure on the symphony orchestra give those uh those great musicians uh the respect they need get them back to work let's end that strike right now thanks international union of operating engineers local 150 and of course today's show is brought to you by our friends at the chicago federation of labor hour number two let's go Thank goodness it is Friday, April 19th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, Candace Castillo of United Working Families will join us, and we welcome Illinois State Rep, Mr. Robert Martwick. now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, <laughs> Benny J. Benjarovsky. I love playing the air organ. You know, last night I was saying I was uh, uh, watching the game of my good friend Cap. Cap's wife, uh, the lovely Deb, was giving me a hard time. Yeah, Deb, if you're out there listening, yeah. She's giving me a hard You know why? Why is that? Because I play air guitar. She was making fun of the way I play air guitar. Can you believe that? Way to go, Deb. <laughs> I agree. Did you see if she ever saw me play air organ? Oh, oh Lord. By the way, I have to say, we said this yesterday, but I want to just say it one more time. Uh, sometimes have back page of the Sun-Times filled with the uh, tribute to Chet Kopic, the legendary Chet Kopic. He died in a car accident. Uh, he was a sports um, uh, radio show host, so I'm, I'm sure many of my listeners never heard of him, never listened to him, because I know there's not a lot of sports listeners out there. But man, oh man, I love Chet Kopic. Uh, my, my good friend, Michael Glab, uh, who now lives in Indiana, and I used to do Chet Kopic imitations throughout the 80s and the 90s. He was really one of the most influential uh, radio guys in uh, the city of Chicago, in my opinion. Never got the respect he really deserved in this city. Uh, and you know, I'm just going to go on a tangent here. Oh. You know, I mean, I just uh, sports guys on the radio, uh, and I say this as someone who listens to sports radio guys all the time. They they're like geeky guys who are really way too into sports. You know what I'm saying? But they want to be cool. It's like a contradiction. You understand what I mean? So yeah, it's yeah. like, you want to be cool. Just let it go, baby. Be yeah. geeky. A all geek right? is a geek is a geek, all right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I admit it. I'm a nerd when it comes to politics. Dennis is always making fun of me. Oh, I'm huge way nerd. into politics. Good Lord. Uh, but sports guys. Quick, who's the 40th Ward Alderman? Come on, man. It's Patrick O'Connor. What a psycho. <laughs> 
But then there's like sports guys. You hear them on the radio. They're like, who is number 51? They know like the numbers of the players. 12th Ward, who is it? Come on. That's uh, my boy. I just forgot his name. Cardenas. All right. Come on. And um, so I. Uh, <laughs> wow. You're just throwing these wards at me. Huge dork, guys. <laughs> so, but the, but the sports guys, you know, like they'll know the numbers of the guys. And we went to college where they went to high school. I have a little bit of that in me as well. But uh, anyway. You can't have it both ways. You can't be some dorky guy who loves sports way too much and be super cool. All right? It's one or the other. Same thing with politics. McDumkey's probably the only guy. He's a pretty cool guy. You oh, know? he's real cool. He's actually. really cool guy, you know, but uh, he's really in the ball. What a geek he is. All right. Well, we have more of your <laughs> caption contest captions to Ooh. read. But first, we have to talk about this weekend's Ben Jarofsky bonus content. Ooh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays, there is no Ben Jarofsky show. Mm-hmm. Listeners, I know I can tell you're bummed out right now, but don't worry, because every Saturday and Monday, we post bonus Ben Jarofsky interviews for you to download. Yeah. Ben's interviews really are the bread and butter of this program. And this Saturday, we have one hell of an interview lined up for you. It's a Rod Blagojevich special with that guy from uh, that one radio station. <laughs> ben, what's the name of that station again? It's now by Navy Pier. They sound way smarter than yeah, us. What's the name of that station? I don't know. I can't remember. You think it'd be easy to remember that station's Man, name, but. Uh, you think it would be <laughs> easy. He's from WBEZ, Dave McKinney, and Dave McKinney's Dr. D. What's his producer's Colin name? Colin McNulty. Colin McNulty. A lot McNulty. of mix in the McKinney and McNulty. Yeah. McDumpke. Yeah, McDumpke. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, well, hey, if you ever wanted to hear Ben Jarofsky use foul language over and over and over <laughs> again, this is your show. Ben, tell us about uh, about your show here well, this or was, about this one here. Uh, and, this Talk to people into downloading this thing. Yeah, no, this one, uh, this was so much fun for me to do, and I really uh, was looking forward to doing this. Uh, Dave McKinney, uh, legendary reporter in the in the city of Chicago, we used to write for the Sun Times, now works for BEZ, put together a podcast called Public Official A. Uh, it's a six part podcast about Rod Bukoyevich, former Governor Rod Bukoyevich, who's now serving what fourteen years in a federal penitentiary for extortion, bribery, what have you, some corruption deals that went down where he was extorting money from people uh, who were trying to do business with the state of Illinois. And uh, uh, McKinney tells the whole story from Mikoyevich uh, from A to Z. The part that we zero in on uh, yesterday, or, well, excuse me, it'll air, we interviewed him yesterday, it'll air tomorrow, uh, is the uh, tapes the tapes, the feds were listening to Rod Bogoyevich's private conversations on his home phone, his business phone, et cetera, uh, for about, I want to say, six weeks in uh, 2008, around the time that Barack Obama was elected president. And um, you really get a, 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 it's just such a, a clear picture of how Blagojevich operated when he didn't think anybody was watching or didn't have to worry about other people watching or listening into him. Uh, and we sort of, we just have a field day picking apart uh, some of the, the, the more glorious moments of his rhetorical soaring, including the famous, but you know what? I'm not going to swear today. Yeah, we indulged our swearing. Even Dennis dropped the F-bomb. Yeah, I dropped it too. Oh my God. Not proud of it. Not my proudest <laughs> moment on the podcast. Okay? Uh, but that was our governor, folks. And we're there's just so many moments. They're almost hilarious. It's it's like when you just analyze the way Blagojevich talked and you 
pull apart uh, the tapes, and uh, it's it's. I it was like I said, it was like a script out of a Martin Scorsese movie or a David Mamet play or something like that. Uh, so we have a lot of uh, a lot of fun picking apart. Uh, we play the tapes, we analyze the tapes, annotate them. Uh, McKinney and Colin McNulty sort of give the backstory of what was going on and explain, and then you know get into the whole issue of uh, does Rob Blagojevich what his crimes warrant fourteen years in the penitentiary? I say no. I still think that was overreach. Uh, McKinney took issue with me a little bit on that one. And, um, you know, compare him to Donald Trump and his crimes. Donald Trump's getting off uh, free, scot-free. Uh, you know, maybe that's because they don't have the tapes of Donald Trump swearing and cursing like a sailor. Anyway, a lot of fun. A lot of good good, uh, good work for Dave McKinney. Folks, get to hear Dave McKinney, a great legend in Chicago journalism. And if you're not convinced in downloading this, check this out. Here's some audio from Rob Blagojevich that we talk about on Saturday's bonus interview. He sounds like he's in a bad spot. He says, I fucking busted Whoa, my ass busted and pissed my people ass off and gave your grandmother, grandmother a free fucking, fucking ride on a bus. Oh, yeah. Okay? I gave your fucking baby chance to have health care. <laughs> I fought every one of those assholes, including every special interest out there who can make my life easier and better because they want to raise taxes on you, and I won't. I, I fight them and keep them doing it. And what do I get for that? Only 13% of y'all out there think I'm doing a good job. So fuck all of you. <laughs> I tell you, I still get nervous hearing curse words when we do this show. Oh my God! Yeah, you know, but, you know, it's just wow. That it's just that 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 particular. That was your favorite quote. I think that was your favorite oh, yeah. of, the, of the bits we played. But yeah, that's just a uh, Rob Blagojevich unleashed. Uh, he doesn't think anybody's listening. He's not. He doesn't think anybody will ever hear him. Um, he's talking to. I, I can't remember who he's talking to in that particular. Is he talking to his wife? I can't remember. That I had problems with that too. You know, the feds like something voyeuristic about the feds listening to uh, uh, Rob Blagojevich's conversations, his private conversation with his wife. Uh, but that one is just unleashed. Rob Blagojevich just so mad, just so bitter, just so resentful uh, that he's not getting the credit he deserves for the things he's done. Uh, you know, man, he just unleashes so, on the public. That's our Rob Blagojevich tape special with WBEZ Dave McKinney. You'll be able to download that Saturday, chicagoreader.com, chicago.suntimes.com. And on Monday, Ben takes the deep dive with the progressive 35th Ward Alderman himself, the one, the only, Carlos Ramirez Rosa. He's actually coming in uh, after today's program to record the interview. Ben, what are you planning to talk with uh, about with Carlos Ramirez Rosa for this bonus Benny oh, J interview? Oh my goodness. Well, we're going to be breaking uh, down that TIFF deal that just went down in the city of Chicago last week. You know, I'm not going to let the let that one escape and we're also going to be talking about the reorganization of the chicago city council uh when you know under mayor elect Lori lightfoot and that is a perfect transition to what i want to talk about next candace castillo is in the studio candace castillo is in the studio the pride and joy of city of chicago she's a political activist who was uh influential to put it mildly in the election of a new alder woman from the 20th ward jeanette taylor so first of all candace castillo welcome to the show Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. And uh, so for, before we uh, take the deep dive into sort of the uh, what you think, where we are heading as a city, where we're going uh, with the new mayor, with the new city council, with some uh, people of sort of the democratic socialist persuasion that'll be in the city council, a little more liberal or progressive, whatever the word is, uh, just introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell folks a little bit about Candace Castillo. Well, Candace Castillo is a girl that grew up in the Ninth Ward of Chicago, born and raised, born and raised on 103rd Street. I had the privilege of going to Catholic school in Chicago. I went to Seton Academy during the 90s, and we had our first 
organizing drive at Seton, we had a principal that tried to tell us what nail color we can <laughs> wear by race and how big our purses could be. And the students, it was an all-girls school at the time, organized. And that was my first taste of organizing. I was like, ooh, I like this. Wait, wait, what, what did she, she wanted your nail polish by race? Yep. What did that, what do you mean? What was? So she wanted light pinks and pales and things like that. Um, if For the white girls, the black and Hispanic girls could wear nudes that fit. Yeah, I mean. Wait, wait whoa. Yeah. Time out on the playing field yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, you're telling me that that she actually was I, I say she was it a this it was it was woman? she she articulated as she said okay if you're black you have to wear this color yes she would actually say that yes for what was the justification um I don't know it, I mean I was 15 years old and this was this was the 90s so everybody had 1500 rhinestones on each nail but <laughs> But somehow or other, I didn't have that. But, anyway. <laughs> but Seton had always been the girl power, all girl school. Um, back where in, is Seton? Seton is gone now, but it was South Holland. Yeah, South Holland. That's where it was. But that's where, that's not where your girly girls went. That's not where your overprivileged girls went. Mm-hmm. It was where the girls who like girl power. For instance, we put on a play called Her Story. Losing Ophelia was a book that we read yeah. routinely. I mean, it was a girl power, all girl school, and it was based on individuality. Mm-hmm. So when somebody tried to take our, away our individuality, we rebelled, but we organized. So I first fell in love with organizing there. Um, I went away to college. I went to Alabama A&M, mm-hmm. and I swore I was never coming back to Chicago. And I, uh, the Organizing Institute for the AFL-CIO was um, recruiting heavily at historically black colleges to get more black, especially women, into the labor movement. And I took the internship, got it, and I loved it. Um, it was something about knocking on people's doors and reminding them that they had the power. So fast forward, I do my internship with them. I go to post-Katrina, New Orleans. It was a year after Hurricane Katrina. Mm. And I was reorganizing the teachers there. I finished undergrad, but um, New Orleans was my grad school. Mm. Yeah, right after Katrina's right in 2006. Right. Uh, now, you swore you never come back to Chicago. What, what, why, why would you... Uh, swearing that you would never come back to Chicago? Because it's cold. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Candace Castile tells it like it is. Yeah, it is cold. It's cold. Okay. And I don't like the cold. Still don't. Okay. Uh, so it's nothing about the city itself, like the character of the people or its politicians or its elected officials. Uh, it was the cold, the weather. That was it. Okay. It was the weather. Mm-hmm. And... So I grew up on a block that my mom grew up on the same block. My dad grew up three blocks down. I grew up where everybody knows your name or they know your mother yeah. or they might have known my god sister or all of that. So I was like, I like this. There's nobody to tell on me here. I like this. <laughs> I'm free and easy. I'm free and easy. But kids from Chicago 
if you make it out of Chicago, you really make it anywhere. And there's a rugged individuality that kids from Chicago have. All right, let me ask you about that. Uh, You're you're just plugged into one of my favorite themes of the last few days. Follow me, I'm about to say, Candace Castillo. Uh, I've been saying this a lot lately. There is a basketball player named Patrick Beverly who's from the city of Chicago. I know you're not a sports fan, so I'm just going to tell you this. Uh, and uh, he went to Marshall High School, and he's been tenacious in the playoffs guarding uh, Kevin Durant as a superstar. Mm-hmm. All right? So, and Kevin Durant was uh, praised him afterwards, and he said, Patrick Beverly plays with grit. He's from Chicago. Chica- I'm paraphrasing. Chicago, that's how Chicago ball players are. They have grit. Now, my thing is, how come Chicago athletes play with grit and hustle and heart and determination and fearlessness, but so many of our elected officials are so wimpy when it comes to challenging power. Please explain that to me, Candace. Well, well, one, we'll get into it, but you got a new class of elected officials. You got a lot of elected officials that were handheld, spoon-fed babies. They never had to come from any type of grit in Chicago. It was somebody who always held their hand or was like, no, it's okay. Or they're not used to losing. They've never had to figure it out. Your normal person from Chicago, black, brown, Polish, Italian, Chinese, whatever. Mm -hmm. Your normal everyday working person has a bit of figure it out. Even when I was in college in Alabama, they have a large contingent of kids from Chicago. It was amazing, amazing what the other kids from places in the South would be like, well, I don't have a car. I can't get to XYZ store. The kids (laughs) from Chicago and Detroit would be calling each other and figuring it out because you don't have a choice. You figure it out or you get ran over. And you just don't have a choice. When I look at my friends who left Chicago, sometimes it really makes me sad because I know they're kicking butt and taking names in whatever city they are in because they figured it out. Yeah, so you're saying that the politicians who run the thing in the city of Chicago are spoiled. They never had to figure anything out because it was all handed to them? A lot of it was handed to them. I mean, now I sit in a lot of rooms and I'm like... You all don't get it. You all don't get it. Sitting in a room with uh, Carlos Rosa and Sue Garza is totally different than sitting in a room with Anthony Beale. Anthony Beale is the alderman of the Ninth Ward, yeah. uh, where uh, Candace Castillo grew up on 103rd Street, that area around there in the southeast side of Chicago. Sue Garza is the alderman of the Tenth, tenth Ward, ward. Uh, which is just south and east of the Ninth Ward. And Carlos Ramirez Rosa is the alderman of the 35th Ward, and he'll be our guest in about an hour. How about that? Yes. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I figured it out, and I'm not even from Chicago. Uh, so explain that. All right, break that down. Now that I explain the players, Anthony Beale, big time ally of Mayor Rahm, uh, has been. Uh, one of the mayor's key uh, allies in the black community f- since he got elected. And uh, Sue Garza is uh, independent alderman. So what's the difference? Like, what is the difference vibe coming out of a Sue Garza room as opposed to Anthony Beale room? So, one, look at the characters of the ward. You you got to look at, I'm in the 10th ward a lot because of Calumet Park. My son is on Chicago Park District gymnastics team. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at the characteristics of the ward, but also of the people. Sue is going to do for her constituents, and not just some of them, all of them. How does this affect the betterment of the people in my ward and 
her attitude toward it is, yeah, that's great. I don't give a damn. Does it help? Does it hurt? Mm -hmm. Um, Anthony is like, does it help these certain people? Does it help Pullman? It doesn't really help Greater Roseland. It's a difference. It's a difference on how they come off. Sue doesn't know you, can meet you for the first time, and she's going to hug you with a big smile. Mm -hmm. Anthony isn't. He's going to be like, hey, okay, oh, you're a constituent. Great. Where do you live? Mm, okay. That it's the difference of warmth. It's the difference of being genuine, and it's a difference of... I've had to figure it out before. I've had to figure it out not telling my kid, showing my kid how to ride their bike around that big old hole in the middle of the street. Mm -hmm. Those small things make all the difference in the world and in the world and it goes to the big things in the ward. So now in the ninth world we're getting this one eleven food hall. Great. Um, one of the owners of one of the spaces in 111 Food Hall is from South Shore. Great vegan restaurant that I love. Another one is from Woodlawn. She's from Woodlawn. She really would like to um, open in Alderman Elect uh, Taylor's Ward. And somebody is from somewhere up north. None of them are from the Ninth Ward, and nor did he take the time to try to find somebody from Nine. Mm. Unlike other aldermen who fought for people in their ward. Does it does it help the few or does it help the many? And from my current job right now, I'm still uh, the organizing director for United Working Families. We're all about helping the many and not the few. And there's way too many aldermen, state reps, state senators that want to help the few and not the many. All right. Now, um, we just came out of very contentious uh, mayor's race, Tony Preckwinkle uh, versus Lori Lightfoot. Um, uh, Lori won with 75% of the vote. All right. Now, I, I know your organization was on the other side, the 25% of the vote side of the equation. Don't take it bad. I've been on the losing side way more <laughs> than not in the city of Chicago. All right. So, you know, there's something to be said for losing. Um, what do you think the voters were saying in that election where they went 75% for Lori Lightfoot? So, I think the voters overwhelmingly said they were not for the status quo. I mean, well, first of all, United Working Families never endorsed Tony. However, mm-hmm. however. I love the however. Go ahead. She's going to put on her lawyer hat. However, however. we <laughs> did endorse Jeanette uh, Taylor, uh-huh. Byron Cincho Lopez, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, Sue Garza, um, uh, Andre Vasquez, Maria Haddon. Um, Man, all these people won. Exactly. <laughs> so do we feel like we lost? Yeah. Absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. We did lose four. You lost four? Which ones did you lose? Rafa, uh, Yanez in 15, yeah. in 15 uh, mm-hmm. Erica Wozniak, she was one of our early 46. endorsements in 46, Tara Stamps in 37, and Cleopatra Watson in nine. Yeah. So, all right. 
We did lose four. One six out of, of ten, which is sixty percent, which is very good in the city of Chicago. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so, w- voters wanted change. What kind of change do you think voters wanted? Voters did not want to see the same old spoon-fed people that they have seen over the years, over the last 20, 30 years. They didn't want those people. So they, so they elected a hunger striker, a single, a single teenage mom. They elected a drama teacher from Puerto Rico. They elected a former rapper. And the list goes on. Mm. They did not elect those. They didn't elect the kids of politicians. They didn't elect, they didn't elect those, that college kid that came back, but had never lived real life. They elected people that have lived real life. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, and then uh, within one week of this election, the city council approved $2.3 billion uh, to uh, subsidize upscale community in an already gentrifying neighborhood. So it seems like the voters said we want to change and it seemed like the city council said no, we don't want to change. Talk about that. But there were some interesting no votes in that, right? Leslie Harrison is interesting that she voted no. Leslie Harrison's the alderman of the fifth ward. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, uh, Sophia King is interesting. She voted no. Alderman of the fourth ward. So, I mean, we have to so as we elected those people, there's mm-hmm. some people that got the message. And then Deb Mill, current all outgoing alderman of the 33rd mm-hmm. Ward, uh, voted for it. It's some people that got the message and some people who didn't. So as Mary, Mary like Lightfoot steps up and takes her seat, it's going to be interesting if she gets it, those around her gets it, and this council, as it forms... Who gets it? And I'll be quite honest with you, and this is what I say. This is not United Working Families, but my thing is, can you count to 26? Kind of didn't matter to me who the mayor was. It was, how do we count to 26 on the issues that we need to count to 26 on? All right, 26 being the 26 city council votes, you need to get a majority. So talk about that. What do you think the city council, what kinds of uh, 26 votes would you like to see coming out of the Chicago City Council as we head into uh, the Lori Lightfoot era? That's hard. I would, of course, I would love to see them uh, pass, well, it's first on Jeanette's agenda is the Community Benefits Ordinance. Jeanette Taylor, the newly elected alderwoman of the 20th Ward. Mm -hmm. Um, A Community Benefits Agreement Ordinance because we have so many things coming to the city from a national park being in Pullman, which they deserve, mm-hmm. um, to the Obama Library coming, yeah. to multiple businesses wanting to come to Chicago, which is awesome, but it should benefit the community well, around. Well, it. let me talk. Let's talk about that briefly. Uh, Jeanette Taylor, she is, as I said, we're going to get her on this show. We got to get Jeanette Taylor on the show. Definitely. Uh, she's the newly elected alderwoman of the 20th Ward. Uh, and she was the hunger striker that you alluded to when you were running down the, the new uh, alderman. She went on a uh, hunger strike uh, to protest against Mayor Rahm, for, trying to force him to build diet school, uh, to turn diet school into a community school. Uh, and she was elected. And that is the 20th Ward is the area where uh, the Obama Library will be. 
uh, and the community benefit agreement that you alluded to uh, would be protecting, presumably, the residents uh, in the 20th Ward against gentrification brought on by the Obama Center. Is that what you were getting at when you talk about the... Uh, yes, but it's more than that, right? So the Obama Center will actually be in Alderman Leslie Harrison's ward. It's actually in the 5th Ward. However, unless you come straight Lakeshore Drive, you have to go through the 20th Ward. So it's protecting homeowners also against his against their property tax going sky high mm. and renters against rent going through the roof and business owners against um, taxes and making sure that the training for those jobs are there the training um the businesses, making sure a percentage of those businesses are owned by people in the community. You know, the University of Chicago has been doing a number on the Woodlawn area for over 70 years. And a little bit from my history, I was a um, campaign director for the grads at University of Chicago. And they honestly are getting pushed out of Hyde Park and priced out of Hyde Park and the University of Chicago still won't come to the table to bargain mm -hmm. with them after their election after they won their election two to one and it's certified so they're getting pushed into Woodlawn because they can no longer afford to live in Hyde Park so it's having that discussion with people who are coming here and Personally, I read, you know, Becoming by Michelle Obama. I am sure almost every black woman did. But I can't understand people who swear that they love this city and love the south side of Chicago like they do, but they will refuse to put in writing how it's going to benefit the people that they love so much. Mm -hmm. Michelle talks about Parkway Gardens in that book. So let's benefit Parkway. Let's not just say, oh, we're going to do this. Let's put it in writing. That's Candace Castillo. Rob Markwick has entered the building. Rob Markwick has entered the building. We're going to bring him on real soon. But Candace, I, I, I have to say, I, I, I'm listening to you talk about uh, the impact that the Obama Center will have, not just on the immediate ward uh, that it'll be in, but the adjoining wards, the 20th ward that adjoins it, the 7th ward, which is mm -hmm. right there as well, and thinking that this Michelle Obama, where she's from. I remember, I covered the story when the there was a debate as to where the Obama Center would go. I, of course, uh, once again, was on the losing side of that debate, <laughs> uh, as I am on most issues, as Rob Markwick knows in the city of Chicago. If I'm on that issue, it's usually going to go down to a defeat, Candace Castillo. Uh, but I wanted it on the west side. Okay, because I felt there's so many vac so much vacant land uh, in the city of Chicago. Why are we putting uh, a center in a park? We need more parkland in the city of Chicago, not less. So why would you put a building in a park? And I remember going to the High Park High School in 2000. Oh my God, it was about 2014. I want to mm -hmm. say it was when there was a public hearing. I was. The place was packed with people saying, put it in that park. Northsiders, don't tell us where we should put our park. We love this president, and we want the building in the park. I'm like, you know what? If the south side of Chicago wants to put this building in the park, as they think that's a proper way to honor Barack Obama, who am I to say anything? But I still, to this day, do not understand the logic that governs people in the city of Chicago, where they're going to put a building in a park because they think that's the best way to honor Barack Obama. Please explain that to me. You know, I don't have... So I have... 
I have mixed feelings about it. Yeah. Because of where it's located at, mm-hmm. it's in South Shore. It's located close to her route to high school every day. It's right by the University of Chicago where both of them worked at. It's right by his uh, district when he was um, a state senator. Go ahead. So, I, so I'm okay with where it is. I do have environmental concerns about mm-hmm. it being over there, but I definitely am okay with it. What a lot of people don't know is, part of closing Diet High School was a plan because that was the original location that they wanted it in. in exactly Park. where mm-hmm. Diet High School is. Um, so it's not that I have a problem with it being there, but I have a problem with you don't want to take care of the people that are around that area. People who live in Jackson Park Highlands, their property value is already going two, three times what it's supposed to be worth. So I'm worried about the displacement of all of those people around the city. But it's just not the Obama Center. Where was the community benefits agreement around the 606? Where is the community um, agreement around uh, Lincoln Yards? Mm. So, I mean, it's it's not just that. Where's the community benefits agreement around the Pullman Park that's coming? Or Tiger Woods actually said he would sign a community benefits agreement for the golf course, which is interesting. Kanye West bought, is buying the Regal Theater or has bought it already. Where's the community benefits agreement around that? If you are coming to Chicago, if you are coming to our city, that it should benefit the people of our city point blank and period. We want to keep talking about these kids that were downtown, what, last night, two nights ago? Youth unemployment in this city is at an all-time high. So let's get them some jobs in their communities or downtown, and that can be part of a community benefits agreement ordinance. So it's something signed with the city. That is Candace Castillo. She's not running for alderman, but she sounds like she'd be a good (laughs) alderman. We're just going to have to agree to disagree (laughs) on the Obama Center. Should have gone to the west side. It should have gone to the west side, but it's on the south side. The south side prevailed. Candace, I think I'll twist her arm to staying because we're bringing on Rob Martwick, state representative Rob Martwick. We're going to broaden the discussion into taxes, Oh, fair tax. You know, Martwick's in the studio. You got to talk about the fair tax. Elected school board. Markwick's in the studio. Got to talk about the elected school board. And then I may ask Markwick a question or two about Donald John Trump, the president of the United States, and the Mueller report. Unbelievable, Candace. You talk about getting away with murder, Donald Trump. So we got Rob Markwick in the studio, Candace Castillo in the studio. We'll be right back. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com.
if you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization. And quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at Chicago Reader Corp. at C-O-R-P as in Paul dot com to advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. OK, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. Candace Castillo has agreed to stick around. We locked the door. We won't let her get out. <laughs> uh, and Rob Markwick has joined us. Rob Markwick, the state representative from the Northwest Side. I always forget the number of the district, Rob. What number is it? 19. 19. The 19th district. Uh, 19th district. Uh, many, many months ago in a different existence, I worked on a radio station that was in Rob Markwick's uh, district. Oh, yeah. Still in, is, yeah, but we don't like it as much as we uh, used to. God bless you, Rob Markwick. Anyway, they said, Ben, see that door? Leave. Get out of here. Don't come back but anyway i said wherever i go i'm bringing rob markwick with me and uh so here he is back to talk all the issues of the day what about this these nice digs huh rob it's it's pretty sweet i like it i mean it's uh uh not as convenient for me in terms of location but i still like it it's awesome and it's great to be back here with you yeah you're the probably the only guest you and arena that say that it's not convenient because uh everybody else it's more convenient to everybody else all right rob markwick is known for uh several things uh as in the state house uh one is the fair tax uh the whole movement to have a progressive income tax uh and two is the elected school board initiative uh rob's been leading the charge to have an elected school board in the city of chicago um for a long time. I can't remember how many years it's been, Rob. At least about, about I, I think I, I wrote the bill about five years ago. I first passed it four years ago in the House, and this is the first year that it feels like it might actually get signed by the All government. right, let's talk about that first, then, before we get yeah. to taxes. Um, elected school board, uh, wow, in the city of Chicago, we're the only, correct me if I'm wrong about this, the only municipality in the state of Illinois uh, that does uh, not elect its school board members. We do uh, a the mayor gets to appoint. Am I correct about that? That is correct. And, and we're only one of a handful throughout the country where there is an appointment process, not an election process for the governing board. And, and it's, it's interesting. And, and this is part of what I call when we deal with when we think about CPS, what you just said is what we're conditioned as Chicago think. You said we're one of the only municipalities. School districts are not contiguous with municipalities generally. They may reside in part or in whole entirely within. They may match municipal lines, but they are their own separate form of government. Mm -hmm. And that's something we always forget. We always think of CPS as being like wholly owned by the city of Chicago. It's not. 
the governance is, the decision-making is owned by the mayor, but anytime there's a problem with the finances, over the course of the last eight years, Mayor Rahm and before him, Mayor Rich would just say, oh, I, I have no control over the finances, nothing I can do about the money, that's their own form of government. Um, so, you know, when it worked in their favor, then they were, then it was theirs, and when it didn't, then they had nothing to do with it. Yeah, so. all right, well, now we'll get into Chicago Think, that's a great way of talking about it. Chicago Think states uh, that you need an all-powerful, mighty mayor to uh, run the city of Chicago because we are like, I don't know, like uh, we, we, we're just mean, savage people that without this powerful, dominating uh, figure at City Hall, we would destroy each other. That's classic Chicago think that's embedded in every editorial I've ever read, which says you cannot trust the people in the city of Chicago to elect their own representatives to run the school board. That's right. That's what you're battling, young man. That's what it is and and you know another part of that chicago think is um some of the discussion so we passed the bill 110 to 2 in the house this year it's on its way to the senate it's in the senate and uh after i passed it and before it got to the senate our mayor-elect uh weighed in Uh and she said it's a terrible bill it's a terrible idea even though throughout the campaign she had been Every time she was asked, fully elected school board, fully elected school board, she's for a fully elected school board. Suddenly, she said a couple of things that seemed to contradict that, which is that the um, that the mayor needs to have skin in the game, and we can't just elect anyone to serve on the board. We have to have a process for selecting candidates that have experience, and it, it has to be parents, not just anyone from the community. And, and then she said something that is classic Chicago think. My bill called for a 21-member board, 20 members drawn from districts in the city, and the idea being that with 20 districts, we would have, we would ensure that the diverse fabric of the city of Chicago was fully represented at that school board, so that not only would we be ethnically and racially and demographically, but geographically and even neighborhood, right? I mean, from one neighborhood to the next, there can be a radically different set of concerns and interests when it relates to the schools that are in that district. I have two of them. I have two high school districts, Taft, and right next to it is Steinmetz, and they have dramatically different concerns. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being able to draw down, and and with 20 districts, you limit the influence of special interest money in the elections. That's where the 20 came from. She said, way too many, way too many, and I hear this all the time, way too many people. And the reasoning is, you can't get 20 people to agree on anything. You can't get 20. If you had a 21 member school district, you wouldn't get them to agree on lunch. <laughs> and and I thought to myself, and that is such Chicago thing, yeah, because is, yeah. we are conditioned to believe in the city of Chicago that our government is not functioning unless the mayor says, this is what I want. And 50 people say, we agree. Yeah. If one person, if a Helen Schiller, and I like that one because she used to step out of line. Oh, my God. In the 90s. How could one person stand up and say no? That was a big deal. And that's not the way democracy is supposed to work. We're supposed to disagree, and then we take a vote. All right, now, uh, I happen to agree with you in this point, but since you you mentioned uh, the mayor-elect, that would be Lori Lightfoot, uh, who's just victorious with 75% of the vote in the last election. Now, 
uh, there's a part of me, the cynical, jaded Chicago journalist that's been doing this for way too long, banging my head against the wall. Uh, that That's the sound of me banging my head against the wall. Uh, <laughs> uh, that part of the reason why she opposed your bill uh, is that she's still a little irritated at you, young man, uh, for your behavior in the... Okay, let me get it right. Was it before the runoff? It was before the runoff. It was before the runoff. All right. So uh, in your infinite wisdom, you had decided that you were going to endorse uh, Tony Preckwinkle mm-hmm. for mayor of the city of Chicago. You did not win, as I was telling uh, Candace. It's okay. It's okay to lose. Yeah. I've lost many times. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, it's, it's okay, Chicago. You can lose, all right? That's a whole other issue. Um, and uh, they, But you showed up at the press conference where she held a press conference to denounce a bill, I'm doing this from memory, yep. that you had proposed about the um, Cook County State's Attorney's Office making it an appointed position as opposed to an elected, uh, uh, no, Cook County's Assessor, Assessor Office, excuse yep. me. Uh, and then you stood up at that press conference and uh, you chided her for uh, uh, denouncing your bill without having read it. She said she had read it, there was this confrontation, it was captured on film. I think it was one of the three reasons she emerged uh, in the election. She should I, be thanking you. I, I hear that yeah, often. Okay, yes, you know, yes, uh, yeah. Yeah. that was a powerful Rob Martwick elected a, uh, a mayor. But, <laughs> you know, um, have you had an opportunity to talk to Lori Lightfoot to bury the hatchet so you can make sure that her opposition to the bill is based on her opinions about the bill as opposed to, I'm really pissed off at that Martwick? Well, I would be really disappointed if it was based on that last thing. Um, you know, uh, as you mentioned, this is a rough and tumble town when it comes to politics. Um, I supported someone who I thought would be, you know, as soon as she announced, I thought she would be the best choice to run the city of Chicago. The voters didn't agree. And that's fine. Like I said, I've lost elections where I've run myself. I've lost elections where I've supported people. Um, I, I never had anything. My my little run in with her was it, it, so interesting because it, it got turned into something so terribly political, but it really wasn't. And, it, and that was, listen, it my mistake. I learned on that. I went to a press conference that she was holding about a piece of legislation that I had put forth, and I failed to separate policy from politics. I walked in and said, well, why would she be bashing my bill? She didn't even talk about my bill. Let me go and answer questions about the bill. I didn't stand up. I did not chide her. Um, I, I waited until the whole press conference was over, and and the cameras were packed away in their bags. And I said to the reporters there, hey, if anybody has any questions, I'm the one who filed the bill. She very masterfully, and and really, I give her a lot of credit for it. She turned it into something that really benefited her. And clearly everyone agrees that it did. And and that, that, listen, that's politics. Um, I have nothing against her. I think she is an extremely uh, bright and capable woman. I'm very excited about the next four years. I told her when she came down to Springfield, I said, anything I can do to help you, they're going to need help with the pension problem in the city of Chicago. It's way worse than the pension problem in the state of Illinois. I told her I would help her. So I hope that the opposition is based off of her understanding or her beliefs about policy. And then I hope that I get an opportunity to have a discussion with her and at least give her the benefit of explaining why for the last four years I've run this bill structure and why 110 members of the Illinois House of Representatives thought it was a really good idea. Okay. Um, you know, and I hope I get that opportunity right. to do that because I, I do want to work with her. All right. Okay. So let's assume that everybody, there's no, uh, these are uh, two people who, unlike everybody else in the in the world, uh, can put things aside and get over it really fast. I can. I hope she can. Yeah. All right. So 110 to two. Wow. You can't get 110 to two on anything. Uh, who? First of all, the two people that voted no. 
Uh, yeah, I had two Republicans, um, one from <laughs> suburban Rockford, a guy by the name of Joe Sesnowski, and one from suburban Springfield by the name of Avery Bourne. And somebody asked me, did you go and ask them why they voted no on this? And yeah. I said, no, because with two no votes, I really don't care why they voted yeah, no, you know? Curious, like, uh, I don't want democracy in Chicago. I, <laughs> they like the Mayor Rahm. Yeah, yeah. Sanowski likes Mayor Rahm. Who knows? All right. Uh, the, the games that we, we've talked about this so much, uh, Rob, the games they play in Springfield is the let it get out of the house. And then uh, John Cullerton, the president of the Senate, who loves Rahm so much, he has a tattoo in his back or something. That's just a joke. Um, and, uh, color to a bottle it up and then it'll die in the Senate and win in the house. Madigan lets it gets out of the house. Then last time I think it got out, even got out of the color to let it out of the Senate and it died in the house. Some parliamentary maneuver. Well, Colorson ex- changed the bill. That, yeah. And he put a poison pill in it. Right. He put so. that's it. That was the parliamentary slick move by John. All right. So um, what's the game that's going to be played here? Well, now that Mayor Rahm's gone, will John Colorton just allow the vote to, to happen or what's the deal? So I, I don't know. I mean, from the House side, I, I I approached the speaker early on in the year and I told him, look, I'm not I'm not doing this to curry favor with anybody. This is a bill that I believe in. It's something I've worked on. Have some something I've pushed. And I'm and I told him straight up, I want to pass this bill. I want your assurance that I can get this bill to the governor. And he said, I will do everything I can. And I believe him. Um, the Senate sponsor this year is um, Omar Aquino. Mm-hmm. And. I know Omar. From the northwest side of Chicago. He is. Uh, an adjacent district to mine. We don't overlap. Mm-hmm. I know Omar. I like Omar. I respect Omar. And I have a great personal friendship as well as a professional friendship with him. And he has assured me that this is an, an issue that he feels strongly about. And he has gone to the Senate president and said, I want to move this bill. So I don't I don't have any control of what over what happens in the Senate, but I feel very good about my Senate sponsor. I've talked to the governor. The governor says he will sign an elected school board bill. Um, again, Mayor-elect Lightfoot said she supports an elected mm-hmm. school board. She continues to say she supports an elected school board, but not surprisingly, she wants to change it to a way that, that she thinks is... All right. I, I, I'm all over the map when it comes to elected school boards. Uh, we've probably had this conversation, I don't know, because I, I think we usually get into the weeds of the parliamentary movers, maneuvering to keep uh, an elected school board out, uh, as opposed to the merits of the bill. So yeah. let's just get into that a little bit. Um, to me, the fundamental problem with the way we do public education in the city of Chicago is just an unfair distribution of money and resources to wealthier communities and poorer neighborhoods uh, get screwed. I actually think we should spend more more money in poor neighborhoods to try to compensate for the advantages that wealthier kids have over poor kids. That's just me. If I were running the world, that's how the way the world would run. And you can see why anytime I, I'm usually on the losing end of elections, uh, Rob Martwick. Uh, I'm not sure elected school board would change any of that. Um, I look at what went, just went down in Los Angeles where they had an election and the charter school companies bought out all know, the, the seats, all the seats, all of them. I think Koch they brothers, Koch brother money poured in. So I could just see just a continuation of the policies that we've had for years and years. I've been battling here in Chicago with an elected school board. So the fundamental uh, flaw in the way we run it, public education in the city would remain with an elected school board. Please address that concern. So, and that was when I was, when I first took up this issue, the two biggest concerns that were brought to me was number one, how do we limit the influence of special interest money 
over the course of the elections? Mm -hmm. And number two, how do we ensure that the elected school board adequately reflects the diversity of the city of Chicago so that minorities and people of color um, have access to this, to serve on this board. And so that's where I came up with the, the idea that un, unlike most elected school boards, which run at large, meaning you run across the entire district, even in Los Angeles, seven school board members in a city that's bigger than Chicago, and they run citywide. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, the best way to address both of those questions is to divide the city up into districts and that way you can ensure that you have adequate representation and with smaller districts you limit you don't eliminate but you limit the influence of outside money by putting a greater emphasis on um, community participation and grassroots organizing now let me just say this because when people have questioned well 20 is too many mm -hmm. um, to which i retort number one well the city council functions and we've got 50 there. The state Senate functions. Functions in quotes. Well, yeah, yeah but, okay, no, but, point well taken, yeah. But, but the point is, is they get through their calendar, right? Yes, they do, yeah. The state Senate moves a lot of bills at 59, and we in the House of Representatives have 118, and we get stuff done. Right. So I, I don't buy that argument in terms of efficiency. Mm -hmm. What's most important in democracy is that you have adequate representation. That's what I think. And when people say, oh, should it be less, I say, well, what are your concerns? Yeah. If your concerns are special interest money influencing the elections and ensuring that people have uh, adequate representation, well, you can make less board members means bigger districts. Bigger districts means money's more important, and bigger districts means that it's less likely that you will have adequate minority representation. Mm -hmm. Bigger districts minorities are going to get drawn into districts with other people who may have better resources to run and beat them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, Ed Burke just wanted another race in the, in, in his 13th ward, 14th, 14th ward. 14th. And oh my God, 13th is yeah, mad at you. Yes. I, sorry. I got my, my <laughs> wards mixed up yeah. with the 14th ward and his yeah. ward is 80% Latino. Yeah. I didn't think there was any chance he would win, but Hey, he's got an enormous amount of influence and resources. So, you know, you, you've got to be you've got to be mindful of that and, and what you're trying to accomplish. And so when people say to me, well, it should be less districts, I go, OK, so just to be clear, just make sure that when you say there needs to be less districts that you say you don't mind special interest money and you don't care as much about diversity because it's a straight trade off. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's where the structure came. OK. From. And so, uh, yeah, I listen, I'm willing to go with it. Like I said, you know, it's so funny. The defense, I, I just find this incredible, Rob, uh, the defense uh, for people again or the, the criticism that they have against the elected school board is that the mayor Rahm has done such a great job with the public schools. And I'm like, man. It's like I live in a different world than yeah. so many people in the city of Chicago. We, his chief CEO went off to is in federal prison right now. It is that is <laughs> such a conflating of the issues. Do you know what has happened? Is that the educators of the Chicago public schools have done a fantastic job of educating the children of the schools, despite the fact that they are faced with enormous lack of resources. Yeah. Right? They are so handicapped. There's no social workers. There's no nurses. But they're making the most out of nothing, yeah. and they're educating those kids, and they're trying to take credit for it by pointing to the structure of the school board. The structure of the school board is related to governance, and their governance has been nothing short of a complete and total disaster. Can I list? Number one, 1995, 
the Chicago Teacher Pension Fund was 104% funded. They gave mayoral control to the board. They did not make a pension payment for a decade. Mm. They are now 50% funded, and the payment on that debt is eating up our ability to put money into the classrooms, and it's raising taxes on every Chicagoan. You talked about Barbara Bird Bennett is going to go to jail. Why? She is in jail. She is in jail. Yeah. Why is she in jail? She She's in jail because of a, a kickback scheme that involved a $25 million no-bid contract to her former employer. And all of that makes you go, wow. But that's not the worst part. The worst part is that the day that the contract was approved, there was no discussion and no dissent. Not one person said no to a $25 million no-bid contract to the former employer of their CEO. And that makes you go, there's no accountability here. Forrest Claypool was involved in a scheme to deny minority children access to special education to save money. And it's like, what is going on? And then, of course, now the, the big hole, the way that we've handled sexual abuse in the schools. So the idea that, oh, my God, the schools are doing so well. No, when you separate out performance, which is educators. Mm-hmm. Teachers. Governance, which yeah. is the board, the governance has been nothing short of a complete total. Man, disaster. Rob Markwitz fired up, baby. <laughs> and let's not forget that they uh, look the other way when uh, Mayor Rahm takes that TIF money away from the public schools. Oh, yeah, the TIF uh, money, the, the privatization of the janitorial services, which has led to just filthy schools, and it's cost more money than it would have been just keeping janitors in decent paying jobs where they could have retired with a little dignity. All right, now we've spent so much time, and I really enjoy it, appreciate the time talking about these issues. Uh, and we haven't gotten into the fair tax issue, which means I'm just going to have to bring you back next month. Uh, just a really quick uh, summary. Um, where a fair tax means a progressive tax, which means that uh, everybody would, uh, you, not everybody would pay the same rate as we do now with 4.95%. Uh, where are we right now in that struggle that's been going on forever in the state of Illinois to have more equitable, fair uh, taxation? So Governor Pritzker is living up to a campaign promise that he made very early on in his campaign. And, and I'm, I'm really, if I can say this, I'm proud of him for really sticking to his guns and not wavering. He has put forth a proposal that creates a rate structure with graduated rates where everyone in the state making $250,000 or less will actually get a little bit of a tax break. People making more than $250,000 a year will start to see a, a higher burden uh, up until a million dollars a year, where then a million dollars a year will sort of be the cap, and then the rates won't go up any further for any income over a million dollars. Um, it raises $3 billion to close our structural deficit, which is awesome, because operating a structural deficit adds to debt. Debt requires debt service, and debt service crowds out our ability to fund the things we want. So it, it, it is a the first step towards putting us back on financial good footing. Um, the idea, and, and, and Governor Pritzker said from the very beginning, look, yes, I know I'm a billionaire. I need to pay more taxes, not you. Mm-hmm. And and so he is restructuring our tax system to give tax relief to the middle class, working class, and poor, which, which, you know, when people say, well, people are fleeing out of our state, that's who's fleeing out of our state. Wealthy people are not leaving in the numbers that the middle class, working class, and poor are. And, and so he wants to give them a little relief and create more opportunities for them. And uh, I think he's got a good structure. So we are... In the next, uh, between now and May 31st, we need to pass an initiative with three-fifths of the General Assembly, 36 members of the Senate, and 71 members of the House need to vote to put a constitutional question on the ballot. Yeah, it's going to be tough. It'll be very tough. It, it is a difficult lift because uh, the Democrats, so the Republicans have said, absolutely no way we're not voting for yeah. it. 
the Democrats are, you know, we're not all for it. Yeah. So he's got to get to 71 of 74. And that's, yeah. yeah that's I don't see it happening. Challenge. I, I got to tell you, I don't see it happening. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but, and I'll tell you why I don't see it happening and then feel free to vigorously disagree with me. Yes. Um, I could see it happening in the Senate where you need 36. Uh, in the House, uh, Speaker Madigan, as I've, we've had this conversation many times before, does not like to twist arms and force people to vote if they think, if the, the if the reps think, his caucus members think it's got against their political interests. Say what you will about Michael Joseph Madigan, House Speaker. He is looking out, number one, for his caucus members because they're the ones who give him all that power. So in exchange for those votes, he looks out for them. And if they think that it's a dangerous vote that can hurt them at the polls, he's not going to force them to do it. He's going to do whatever he can to protect his caucus members. And if you don't have any Republicans, any Republicans to support this initiative, I doubt that these Democrats in swing districts where this could be used against them uh, in uh, campaign flyers, uh, as much distortion as they are, I doubt they'll vote uh, f for uh, the, um, the progressive tax. What's your reaction? So I agree with you one Hundred <laughs> percent. That you're gonna disagree with me, okay? But now ahead. I'm gonna disagree with you. Oh, you go ahead. All right. Yeah. So your read of it is exactly where we are in this moment. Mm -hmm. Now let me tell you why I think it's gonna pass. Okay. J. B. Pritzker. <laughs> Governor Pritzker yeah. is so committed to this. He yeah. really believes that this is what we need to do to solve the long-term problems of our state. And he is going to go to these members and he is going to say to them, I need your vote. And he has the ability to say to them, and if you give me your vote, I, I will do everything I can to protect you, to help you when you do the right thing. And he has an enormous amount of political capital. Yeah, it's called and, money. Yeah, yes. And, money, 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 money. But, but to his credit, think about this. He is going to pay an enormously larger tax bill under this plan yeah. than he would have. It hurts himself, and yet he is willing to expend his own money yeah. to make this happen. That's how much he believes in this. And he has the resources to, um, to put out the message to explain to people what this does, how it doesn't hurt the state, how it improves the state. And I think he can really, and, and so I really do believe that over right. the course between now and May 31st, he's going to engage and he's going to convince those members to vote yes and we're going to pass it. All right, here's what we're going to do. Right where we are now is a few blocks to west of Greektown. I love Greektown. So we're going to cut a deal right here. We're going to make a bet. Right. And I'm going to say that uh, he, the, it won't get it out of the house, and you're saying it's going to get it out of the house, and whoever loses has to buy the other one uh, lunch at the Greek Islands, which is right down the street. I'm going to get the terra musolata. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> lamb chops. So, all right, lamb chops. We'll get the lamb chops, and we'll invite Candace as well to eat with yes. us. Absolutely. And she's going to have uh, some chicken and terra musolata and salad. Nope, I'm a vegan, so it'll be the eggplant and tomato sauce. You're a vegan? Yeah. I see? did not know that. Nah. Nah, vegan? 
I'm a vegan. <laughs> uh, all right, so we'll find some vegan things. Can you drink wine if you're a vegan? Absolutely. Uh, we're going to definitely wine have some vegetables. wine. We'll bring Miles, too. We'll be drinking the wine <laughs> to try to help him get through this rough baseball season he's having. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. All right, uh, we've got Rob Markwick in the studio, and we're going to uh, bring Candace back. And Rob said so many things that make me want to see what Candace has to say. Like, I'm going to talk about like a billionaire or millionaire in government. That just make me thinking about Bernie Sanders. So I'm going to ask him some Bernie Sanders questions, and I'm going to ask him about Mueller, Candace, and Rob when we return. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, man, take us to the weekend. Yeah, that super cool music means we're coming to the end of another super cool show. And that music you hear in the background, yeah, that's Candace Castillo and Rob Markwick doing a duet on the keyboard over there. Did you know that? Yeah, not only is uh, Candace Castillo a super organizer who uh, helped Jeanette Taylor win in the 20th Ward, and not only is she a vegan, she can play the keyboard. Uh, And Rob Markwick's no slouch either. All right, D. Uh, oh, we're going to hold off until the very, very yeah. end. Is yeah. that correct? Markwick is so nervous. He has a decision he has to make. He has to decide. The fate of our caption counts, uh, contest is in his hands, and uh, millions of dollars in prizes will, <laughs> will not go out uh, on this one. All right. Uh, before we went to break, our, uh, Rob uh, was talking about how J.B. Pritzker is willing to pay more in taxes uh, through a progressive income tax. Uh, and um, this has been on my mind a lot lately, Candace, uh, in regards to Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders, who I voted for in 2016, uh, just released his income taxes, and it showed that uh, he's a millionaire. He made some good money selling a book. Immediately, Donald Trump pounced and uh, said in all these tweets, hey, Bernie, uh, you should give back the money uh, that I saved you when I did my uh, tax break for the wealthy, which was last year's big fight. Um, and I'm just curious, I'm asking everybody for their reactions to that argument that Donald Trump made, that somehow or other Bernie Sanders is a hypocrite because he did not return the tax savings uh, that he got vis-a-vis uh, the tax break that uh, Donald Trump and the Republicans passed. What's your thoughts about that, Candace? I find it outstandingly absurd that Donald Trump would have the gall to <laughs> call anyone a hypocrite. No, Bernie shouldn't give the money back. Yes, you can be a millionaire and a progressive. And Donald Trump has been stealing. Yes, no. 
I, I did not say that on accident. Stealing money from the American people since he was, what, three years old and getting over $300,000 a year from the money that his daddy stole from the American people and tax lies, not breaks, lies. So... Trump, as usual, as every day, needs to have several seats. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm with you on that one. What's your reaction, Rob? How do I follow that? I'm, I'm, <laughs> everything I could possibly say. No, um, yeah, it's, absolutely you can be a progressive and, and, and be wealthy. It, that, being a progressive is is not, you know, it's not taking a vow to be a Francis, Franciscan uh, uh, monk and stripping yourself down naked and throwing yourself into a bush of thorns. You know, it's, it's not about that. It's about uh, adopting policies that are good, to move our society forward no matter how they affect you and that's the difference donald trump is always happy to put forth policies that benefit him and those of his kind you look at jb pritzker um i doubt he hangs out at the vfw hall very much so the benefits that he's pushing forward help people that he doesn't hang out with and hurts the people that are his friends and hurts himself personally but he says that is progress for our state Mm -hmm. that will make things better for everybody that is being a progressive and so clearly you can do that all right candace as a political activist putting your political activist hat is it a winning ticket for democrats to push for a progressive income tax to uh, advocate for raising the top rates or do you think that's ultimately a dangerous uh, position that democrats should take as they head into this next election i think a progressive income tax is smart and it it affects working people like myself at the end of the day yeah i'm an activist but i'm also a single mom in the city of chicago so yes absolutely i agree with the progressive income tax mm-hmm. and do you Pe- think it's a winning political strategy right? absolutely people in illinois realize that you can't make further cuts to uh k through 12 higher ed social services infrastructure you, you, you they, they realize that we've gutted that and this is a plan that prevents further gutting prevents further tax increases and at the same time if it passes gives a tax break to 97 percent of the people living in illinois Mm. it's foolish not to support that yeah well i know that uh, i pointed this out many times uh that the republican strategy to oppose it is just to call it a middle class tax hike uh well do you think they'll be able to get away with that no i don't in in Everyone who has looked at that, other than the true believers, everyone who has looked at that thinks that is bunk. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about a tax cut for anyone making $250,000 a year or less, there's no way that's a middle tax increase. I need somebody when every time Republicans, especially Republicans and some Democrats say middle class, I want them to define it for me. Because if you are making $250,000 a year between you and your spouse and you have four kids, then, um, yeah, you might be in that. But in reality, no. If you have two kids, you make that and you have one that you're paying full tuition for for college. Yeah, no. Define what that is. And it's a big difference between me living in Chicago and somebody living in Peoria and that amount of money. So somebody needs to define that for me. All right. Now, uh, before I let you go, I have to ask your thoughts about the Miller Report. I spent a lot of time uh, going through it uh, earlier in the show. And today's New York Times uh, just very effectively. Wow. Yeah, they put uh, six provisions from the Miller Report. Uh, They quote six uh, segments, excerpts of it, I should say, 
uh, that really just bear out exactly, just get right cut to the heart of it. Uh, this is the one that Donald Trump is happiest with, and I'd love to get your response to this, Rob Martwick uh, and uh, Candace as well. Um, and this is uh, from volume one, page 173 of the Mueller report. Uh, the invest, and I'm quoting, the investigation established multiple links between Trump campaign officials and individuals tied to the Russian government. Those links included Russian offers of assistance to the campaign. Ultimately, the investigation did not establish that the campaign coordinated or conspired with the Russian government in its election interference activities. I'm quoting, that is Donald Trump's favorite part of the Mueller report. Uh, Rob, do you think that uh, exonerates the president? Well, absolutely not. I mean, it, it may not be, I think that, and here's the problem, right? It, it, it shows that there isn't a case for criminal prosecution which bears the highest standard of proof in the criminal justice system, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. It does not establish by a preponderance of the evidence because that's not the standard, mm-hmm. right? And so people have to look at that through the lens of the way it was written, that we cannot prove beyond a reasonable doubt that there was that, that, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It means they can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the highest standard. If this was in a civil court and we said the preponderance, that's 50-50. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt. So it, it, there is so much information in that report that points to the fact that the Trump that, that Donald Trump, his closest advisors, his family members, his campaign, were doing everything they could to, to just do the most vile and offensive things that we as as Americans in a democracy hold near and dear to our heart. And, and that should be judged by the American people. If it's not enough for a criminal prosecution, we ought to really put it in perspective and remember it when we go vote. Um, I think the Mueller report is very interesting on how it outlines how Trump and his um, allies were too stupid to actually figure out how to collude with Russia (laughs) when Russia was already working for them. Because basically that's what it says. No, I think there needs to be a full investigation by the House Mm -hmm. and the Republicans in the Senate um, and the Democrats in the Senate. We cannot let a president get away with this. This is leaving a super horrible model for our country and is having reverberations with the type of authoritarian government that are that's being elected around the world. We can't get away with this, let him get away with this. But everybody that's calling for Jesse to pay his hundred and thirty thousand dollars, somebody needs to what was it, four hundred million dollars mm-hmm. that they spent on the Mueller investigation? Trump got it. He's given himself enough tax breaks over the years. He's mm-hmm. figured it out. He should be paying All for right, this. Let me ask you the question. I also ask everybody who comes into the studio. Okay, we'll start with you, Candace. Who do you think got off easier? Jesse Smollett or Donald Trump? Donald Trump, <laughs> by a long shot. Uh, at least Jesse Smollett was, uh, you know, accused of something. Uh, what do you think? Rob? Yeah, without a doubt, and and you know, <laughs> Jesse Smollett has has had to uh, bear the brunt of public perception. Donald Trump has never had to bear the brunt of public perception. No matter what he does, his supporters, he could, uh, what was his famous quote? I could shoot somebody yeah. on, on on Fifth Avenue or whatever it was and, and, and nobody would care. And that's, it, when he said it, it was crazy. 
and now it's not so crazy. Yeah. And so, so without a doubt, I mean, Jesse Smollett's career was already at a probably at a difficult stage. I think he may have ruined it through this whole thing, and and he may never recover from it. Donald Trump is as good as he's ever been. No, I think Jesse Smollett in this country is pretty good at forgiving people. Uh, Marv Albert came. I, I always said Marv Albert. I know nobody in this room even knows who he is, but uh, he, uh, he came back. You know who Marv Albert is? Absolutely. Okay, he came back from a pretty embarrassing thing that happened to him. Uh, Candace, any last thoughts before we turn it over to the um, uh, caption contest? Anything you want to talk about? Anything you were really proud of? Well, I'm always proud of the work I've done, but the one thing I think this election cycle I was the most proud of was uh, State Representative Delia Ramirez. Because what a lot of people don't realize is there is a black and brown schism in Chicago. And Delia uh, stepping up for Jeanette the way she did, and Carlos Ramirez Rosas stepping up for um, Jeanette the way they did, it helped heal that divide and let people know that it's not it's not just people on the south side out by themselves. Yeah, we have some allies that are on the north side that look and fight for what's going on here. And I also just want to remind us with this Donald Trump conversation, his name used to be the Teflon Don for a reason. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, the Teflon Don, yep. All right, Delia Ramirez, uh, if you're listening, you're going to come on, stop talking and dodge, and we're going to get you on this show. She has an interesting bill that I want to talk to her about, about uh, LaSalle Street Tag. She's tag-teaming with Mary Flowers uh, from the Englewood area on that bill in the State House, which, of course, if passed as any prediction of the future, will definitely not go anywhere, but I'll try to help you on that one, Delia. All right, D. Let is uh, time to uh, announce our winners. Is that correct, sir? Absolutely. It's time to announce our caption contest winners. Big thank you to everyone who sent their captions on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. If you're listening to this and you're like, oh, man, I forgot to leave a caption. Well, when we hit 1,500 likes, okay. we will have our next caption All contest. Right, Not good. sure what kind of caption contest it will be. We'll have to wait and see. But this caption contest is a Donald Trump hugging the flag at that CPAC convention <laughs> caption contest. Once again, thank you to everyone who reached out for your captions. Rob Martwick, what a multitasker this guy is. He picked his winners while doing his interview. Uh, he's the man. Whoa. <laughs> he does it all, Rob that Martwick. That's amazing. Uh, so, my uh, moments. Rob Martwick has his three captions here. We're going to do uh, third place, second place, and first place. Let's go ahead and begin here. One second. Let me get everything set up. All right, let's begin. Number three. Number three. All right, Rob Martwick, let it rip. Number three. The number three winner of the caption contest is Hector. And the (laughs) caption is, when 2020 Bay says, I think we should see other people. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Nice. Our number three. That was Hector. Hector, congratulations if you're listening. The stakes Uh, are in the mail. Okay, we don't send stakes. Okay. All right, time now to find out. Number two. What you got, Mark? Number two, the second place finisher is Bab. And her caption is... I usually have to pay at least $130,000 for a hug. <laughs> I remember that as a good one. Bab's uh, a guy. Yeah. All right, now on. Oh, to- sorry, Bab's <laughs> a guy. Sorry about that, Bab. Babs. I had a, I had a, I had a cousin Whatever, named Babs. Yeah, and Barbara Streisand, isn't she known as Babs? Yeah. Whatever, yeah. There you go. Hey, so that it, the, the rift between Ben Jarofsky and Bab. There continues. is no rift. I love Babs. That's great. All right, <laughs> and it is time for our captain caption, our number one caption. Time for number one. What you got, Mark Wick? The winner, number one, is Brian. Brian, what's his caption? Clinging to the stars, 
before he stuck behind bars. Oh, a little rhyme there. Yeah, that's wishful thinking on Brian's part. Congratulations. You're the caption contest winner. I mean, you didn't really win anything, but boy, you got some notoriety, huh? How about that? Yeah, no, the stakes are in the mail. All right. Um, Anyway, well, thank you uh, very much, Rob Markwick, for uh, that duty. Uh, And uh, Candace Castillo, thank you very much for coming in the studio and be such a good sport. Also want to thank Ramana Hussein. It's Friday. It was Ramana Rundown. Miles Porter. I'm hoping for big things this weekend. All right. I don't want I no I don't, no losses for the Roosevelt University baseball team uh, this weekend. They're six and twenty six, are they? Uh, something like something that. Like uh, that. My <laughs> favorite part of the program where Bendrowski talks to people without microphones. Uh, anyway, we're gonna. It's gonna be a big uh, weekend, I know, for uh, Roosevelt uh, University. In fact, uh, and then finally. I'd like to thank the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, wheeling a deal and the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. The ladies all love him for his body and his mind. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Still saying that, huh? <laughs> Dr. D, have a great weekend, everybody. See you on Tuesday. Hey, live streamers, did you know you can download this show? That's right. Whatever part of the show you missed, head over to chicagosuntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and download the Ben Jarofsky Show. Downloaders, you know we live stream this program, right? Yeah, we do. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. You can join us on the live stream. And we are now on Lumpin' Radio, 105.5 FM, Fridays at noon. We'll see everybody Tuesday. Tuesday.